Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. And ain't that the way and ain't that the reason that the tabloids this morning are talking about the country going to brighten up. The clouds will lift after weeks of doomy, gloomy weather, they're saying, and the sunshine will join us again from tomorrow. And uh, next week isn't too bad. Actually, the, the UK is nuts, particularly the London area. I was looking at they're going to get a heat wave next week of ridiculous temperatures. You're looking at 34 and 36 degrees higher than any of the sunshine destinations in Europe or the Caribbean. But that's not here. That's in the UK, particularly in the southeast. Uh, papers this morning. Well, it's a busy morning paper-wise. Of course, we have should you or shouldn't you, will you or won't you, who's going to enforce the law. You know what I'm talking about, masks. Uh, the papers pick up this morning on a story that was doing the rounds yesterday as to whether or not retail employees will be asked to enforce the mask wearing. And that's a story from this morning's examiner. But they're now saying, according to the Mail, that there's another yet another doll committee uh, that's been put together. There's a few of them, actually. One, of course, is an interesting one that doesn't seem to make the papers this morning and that is that anybody accused of rape or a sexual assault would be guaranteed anonymity until after a verdict of guilty your thoughts on that are welcome incidentally on 0868104106 but the other dog committee wants all overseas visitors who come into the country to be tested twice and also have their temperature taken at airports like what would happen if your temperature was too high to let you into the country would you be put aside for an hour and then test it again, and then if it was still too high, would you be put into an allocated hotel? They're talking about mandatory quarantining upon entry um, if, for instance, somebody is dodgy or test positive. Um, they're talking about City West, the hotel in City West to be used for quarantining. Papers also uh, talk to restaurants and pubs, and um, uh, restaurateurs are saying that this 11 o'clock closure will put jobs at risk. If you're allowed to be open and you're responsible, then you should be left to get on with it. Billy Keane has a lovely article, a lovely column piece in The Independent this morning, which I'll come back to later on. He talks about the fact that a village without a pub is a dead village. And who will replace us when we're gone? He says, you know, we're not such a bad bunch. You know, we aren't uh, a bad old sort, us pub people, he says. We try our best to make the most, not just of our own lives, but your lives too, particularly rural pubs. And I'll come back to that a little later on. Italians are very annoyed with Ryanair, and they're thinking actually of uh, threatening to ban Irish budget airline Ryanair from Italian skies. They're saying in the sun this morning that um, that they're uh, very annoyed with uh, Michael O'Leary's company. They'll suspend the flights if they don't uh, get their act together. They're talking about flouting coronavirus rules, uh, such as wearing of masks, uh, overcrowding at gates and check-in desks. That's the popularity of Ryanair, I guess. And people are travelling on sun holidays. COVID-19 is putting a huge hole in the public finances. The Irish Times says we're about eight, eight maybe eight and a half billion in the hole now. Uh, and uh, as well as that, we're going to have to find more money, particularly for health. We're looking at billions more. The big problem for the HSE and health at the moment, before we ever go into winter at all, is that there is a 130% increase now in patients waiting lists for surgery, operations, consultants, uh, all sorts of uh, medical conditions. So cancer care has been decimated by all accounts and the waiting lists now are just, as I say, 130% up in many areas. Then that story regarding that lad Luke Hanlon, I told you about that yesterday. His parents took the school to to court and got €20,000, every penny of it deserved. The Board of Management uh, finally apologising to him for an ordeal he was put through, accused of theft. Well, the Department of Education won't comment on this bizarre case where the child was humiliated by the school. I mean, it's it's bad. And Donna O'Leary is livid about this in Sinn Féin's education spokesman, and he's right to be as well. 
well. Because it's bad enough just children uh, subjected to bullying um, and, and, you know, humiliation by other students and pupils. But it's an awful, it's in a different league entirely when it's the school themselves are doing it. Listen, be very careful with your pets, particularly if you've got pedigrees or pooches that are worth a few bob because there's been a spate of robberies. The Echo are saying that people are being urged to microchip their pets. Like, the microchip will never find your dog, sure it won't. It'll it'll only identify the dog if it ever comes up again for sale or, or what have you. But the guards are urging pet owners now to have your pets microchipped, discovering lots of stolen dogs during a search in Limerick. Apparently the guards went down to a um, particular property in Rathkeel last Saturday and they found a large number of dogs in the property that, let me just put it this way, shouldn't have been there in the first place. And has anybody noticed these red stickers? On ESB boxes, I was getting texts about this yesterday, concern that maybe these stickers are being used to identify homes that have pedigree dogs. It's not true. The ESB have said they put the stickers on the boxes because they put them on there when they're doing, you know, uh, I suppose, refurb or checking on the ESB boxes. They use different colours. At the moment, it's red. Sometimes it's yellow. People were saying that it was an indication. Do you remember in the past, there used to be kind of chalk marks on people's walls and people were thinking, oh, that's so the thieves can identify a house that's got a lot of booty in it. And then there was the very old story. Does anybody remember if you saw sneakers hanging from an overhead ESB line that would had some indication as to where drugs were being sold a lot of it is just urban legend I think yeah, this isn't an urban legend the Taoiseach's team of special advisors will this year hit an all time record they're recruiting more and more advisors some of them have half a dozen you know believe it 600,000 euro a year just for the Taoiseach special advisors alone and if you haven't been to Spike there's one extra reason now to go and that is a new dig that has uncovered new rooms and a spiral staircase made of stone that's been buried since the 1700s I absolutely love it lovely colour stories in the papers today the Echo has a gorgeous two page spread from Joe Kerrigan um, revisiting the days way back I don't think you see him anymore the old steering as Anybody know what a steer and eye is? It was a homemade um, go-kart. Sometimes it was made out of pieces of prams. Sometimes it was made out of plywood and wood and ball bearings and what have you like that. But boy, we had an awful lot of fun out of them. And there's gorgeous photographs in the Echo of the homemade transport. We call them steer and eyes. They could knock a right old speed, particularly if you were going downhill. I'll park that story for now because I love those nostalgic stories which we'll come back to throughout the course of the morning. Papers also this morning talk about um, the wife who performed CPR on her husband. Wow, this guy would have died. She woke up one morning and thought he was snoring. Then he turned blue and stopped breathing. They're home in County Mayo. So she rang 999. And they said, you need to start performing CPR till we get there. So she did the compressions for half an hour. Ambulance crew called and said to her, you saved his life. He had stopped breathing. He would have died. So just compressions. What is it? The Bee Gees? Staying alive? That's the tempo you use? Saved her husband's life. I mean, how many lives could be saved if everybody knew how to perform CPR lads. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie. I just want to put a quick call in there regarding the Mount Cara issue on Redemption Road and somebody that's been behind this because he's been chair of the board of the management at Mount Cara for some time now is Dr. John Sheehan. He joins me by phone. John, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Just before that, it, I don't know whether you were across that story of the wife who literally brought her husband back to life and saved his life by performing CPR. I mean, it's incredibly important, isn't it? 
It really is, and it just shows you how important groups like first responders and the classes that they do right around the city. It's something that, um, you know, ideally everyone should know, and it's the thing that, like, say, in transition year, should be taught for. And is it not taught in schools? It should be. Um, I think they do give first aid. I'm not sure whether they give CPR or not. It should be. They're dead right because nobody knows when you're going to need it and when you need it you need it now because the heart has actually stopped hasn't it but the compressions keep the blood flowing through the body am, am I right about that? Yeah absolutely right and sometimes Neil those couple of minutes can be until um, a defibrillator can be gone or till other help can arrive it's those vital couple of minutes that can keep the oxygen going to the brain um, you know that can re- re- result in somebody recovering um, and it's, it's, it's something to behold when someone has gone through it and has come out the other side, it's one of the most amazing things that you'll ever see. It must be an amazing thing to save somebody's life. It really must. Anyway, listen, I just said I mentioned it as a by the way. What's going on? I touched on this story some weeks ago when the announcement was made public that what's happening with Mount Cara and the misfortunate people who will have to find somewhere else to go? This is really sad, Neil. Um, Mount Cara is on, on the north side and it's been open for about 30 years. And really what it is, it's a, it's a residential elderly care facility. So it's for people who need a bit of care but don't need the full nursing home care. So normally they can wash themselves, feed themselves, um, and, but they need a bit of help and support. And it's got a fantastic atmosphere there. It really has a very dedicated staff. The residents are very happy there. Um, it's a lovely atmosphere. It's the type of place that if you go in there, you would say, Scott, I wouldn't mind booking in here when the time comes because it has a really, really nice atmosphere. Um, I've been involved with it for about 20 years. My own father spent some time there. Um, I was a GP to some patients there. I've been, I was previously chair of the board there. It really is very, very good. Unfortunately, it doesn't fit in with the HSE's model um, nationally in terms of residential care facilities. and It doesn't come under fair deal. Um, so its funding is, comes from residents, it comes from city council, and it comes from the HSE. And to be fair to the council and the HSE locally, that funding hasn't changed in the last couple of years. But hang on so a what? second, the Echo this morning have a quote saying that Cork City Council has pulled funding. No, they didn't. No, that's, that, that, that's, that's incorrect. They've, they've given it, to be fair to them, they give it under a homeless strategy. They, the funding hasn't changed for... Uh, for sorry, for I think that, yeah, I think you're right. I think yeah. uh, the HSE, yeah. uh, sorry, Chief Executive City Hall then uh, re- said that that was not correct and that statement yeah. was retracted and they got proof yeah. that it hadn't been, it was still in place. So why is it, why is it no. closing? What has happened, it's always struggled for funding. Three years ago, it nearly closed due to lack of funding because it, it, it just struggles for funding. And then, of course, COVID came along and they couldn't take respite admissions because you come in for two weeks. So if you're coming in for respite, you have to self-isolate for two weeks. And if you're coming for two weeks, there's no point in you coming. And the HSE guidance was not to take respite admissions. So our number of admissions had gone down to 16 and that has affected the amount of fees that we could, the residents pay fees as part of the, part of the deal there. So the, the funding had gone down hugely. And that has that had made a situation where, as a board, they had to look and say, "We're going to run out of money, lads. We need to start notifying people so we can't reach a situation where suddenly the money is gone and everyone has to go. You have to start giving notice to people so that they can start planning." As a board, and and I'm speaking personally here, I really feel that this is the model the HSE should be supporting. And that's where the campaign, the Save Moncara, and I fully support their campaign to keep it open, to get more funding from the HSE. Because, because I have a picture in my head hard. listening to the audio on the 9 o'clock news there. There was 120 people took part in a vigil outside on the north side last night. 
and they said as they were taking part in the vigil, the residents inside were waving out the window to them. Yeah, it's incredibly sad. I mean, I, I've been up there numerous times and I have to say, I get emotional with it because you have these residents who are very happy there, who are very well cared for there, the very, very dedicated staff. The latest HICO report was very complimentary to it. And we need extra support and sort of funding. Now, it needs significant funding. And really what we probably need to do, particularly during COVID, we probably need to get that bridge funding to get over the gap and then maybe look at the future of the structures, where it's going to go, where its role fits in. But certainly at the moment, and, and certainly that's what I've been fighting for, and I know the board have been working really, really hard. I've been on many boards, and I have to say this is the hardest working board I've ever been but, on. So in, well, well done to them, and I hope that this can be reversed. But in the meantime, what are the families and the elderly residents being asked to do? Find somewhere else to go? They, they have, because we have to, you know, this, in order for someone to find somewhere else, else to go, it takes eight, you know, eight weeks to process fair deal, and then to try to find somewhere. And it's really hard to find somewhere at the moment because, as you know, with COVID and nursing homes and things like that. But we have to give people notice that we are going to run out of funds in a few months' time. It would be remiss of us to say, oh, we're just going to continue on and it's just going to stay open. I hope it does, but but we have to start planning. But, like, these people who are living there have made friends there. They're comfortable there. They like their surroundings. It's home. Absolutely. And we want to, you know, I want to keep... I, I, I would love to keep them there. But I have to be practical and I have to, you know, we have to say to the HSE and to people say, that we're going to run out of money, we're going to run out of funds unless we get more support. And that's why we have to give notice. Like, for instance, under HICWA, you're required to give, uh, you know, a number of months notice. You can't just wait till, uh, you know, a few weeks to go. And that's why we have to begin those discussions. And that was very traumatic. It was very traumatic for families. Very traumatic for the residents, for the staff, and for the but, community. But what would happen with there are twenty four people employed there? They have a livelihood out of it. What happens with them? They certainly would, yeah. And if if, if uh, Moncara closes, they they, they will be made redundant. That's oh, I mean, I, I mean, I don't want to be overly simplifying this, but in the same morning, we hear that Michal Martin's team of advisors is going to cost us six hundred thousand a year. The same time when I was away, I heard we have these things now called super junior ministers who got a sixteen grand pay increase when other people took pay reductions in the communities. Like, what's going on here? Yeah, I know. I agree. We've been on to the minister's office. We've been on to uh, Taoiseach's office. And they're getting more details. We're lobbying for more more support. I firmly believe this is a model that's worth saving. In fact, I firmly believe this is a model that we should be replicating throughout the city. There were 20 of these in Cork back in the day in the city in Kong Neil. There's two of them left, one in Cork and one in Yard. This is the way we should go in the future. I don't think we should be building these big, huge nursing homes. I think we should have small community-based homes. And that's why it's held in such affection in the community. And that's why you had such a great turnout last night. And I think that's great because I think it is worth fighting for. I'm certainly going to fight for it. And I know all the community are going to fight for it. And hopefully we can get some kind of stay and then look how we're going to secure it in the future because you can't keep going from crisis to crisis to crisis. And how can the public help if they're incensed enough to want to? I, I, I think make noise. I think it's, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I like the vigil last night was really, really dignified. Um, you know, it made the message, it showed how much people care, how many families care, how many residents care, and, you know, get onto their local reps, get onto their TDs. And I know the families have been very good. I've spoken to a number of them. And this is something that's worth fighting for. This is something I very much believe in and the board very much believe in. And I think it really, 
is something that should be able to fit into the model. The HSE locally have been very supportive, but it's kind of a national thing, and that's why I think we need to lobby for it. Okay, well, I think it's a disgrace, and people really should be up in arms about it. I mean, obviously, in a peaceful Absolutely. manner. Appreciate you yeah. taking the call. Thanks, as always, Thank Dr. You. John Sheehan, Councillor. Dr. John Sheehan by phone. Um, if you have um, a relative in Mount Cara and you are a family who are affected by this, I would be more than happy to talk to you. See, Paddy O'Brien makes the papers this morning. Incredible guy. He says the HSC must act now with compassion. Don't close down Mount Cara. It's heartbreaking for the residents, their families and the staff. It's elderly people again. You know, the most, the most vulnerable, of course. The most vulnerable. Isn't that always the way? Back after the break, text 0868104106. Talk to Neil Prinderville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. Okay, it's a very fluid program, so I hadn't intended really and truly to spend a whole... I mean, it's a very, very important story because, um, you know, if, uh, if we tolerate this, then God only knows what could well be next. The most vulnerable, as I say. And there was a vigil on the north side last night with regards to Mount um, Cara. Bill Dunley from the Blackpool Community Centre uh, called in in response to a, a call-out for people who were interested in the story. Bill, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Why are you confused? Very confused. Um, okay. I'm chairman of Blackpool Community Centre, right? And we've always had a very close relationship with Mount Cara. Up to three years ago, um, John was saying they started getting funding problems three years ago. No, that's uh, Coincidentally, that fell in line with um, a person that was managing that facility for a long number of years. And she passed away three years ago, right? And from then on, uh, it, to us on the outside, it appeared now that it started sliding back, you know? Um, now, I heard it on the street oh, just over two weeks ago, and I think that Mount Cara was closing. I couldn't believe it. So my first port of call was John, John Sheehan. And uh, I asked him two questions. One was the finances, were they strong? He said they were. The next one was Hikwe. Is that a good reporter? He said there is an excellent reporter. Yeah. That was all. No COVID-19 in there or anything, no? Absolutely COVID-free in there. Fair play. Absolutely. The staff in there are magnificent, you know. So I, I said, John, why are you closing, you know? So anyway, long story short, Neil, I offered the help of Blackpool Community Centre in, in the sense that we could vol- uh, um, organise volunteers, our fundraising, anything that was needed, I offer that help immediately. Um, so he, he said, you're talking to the wrong man here, no, Bill, you should be talking to the chairman. So I spoke to the chairman, he gave me his number, and I spoke to him. And I'm still waiting for a call back from that man, Pat Collin. Uh, I'm still waiting for a call back. The chairman of, what, Mount Cara Residential Cara Home? Board and Management. Okay. Yeah. Because you know the photographs that the Echo have this morning of residents inside the window holding up signs, you know, save our home. I mean, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, I was actually there last night. And tell me, while there are while there are fifteen elderly residents there now, what's the capacity? The capacity is twenty five. So the Echo this morning says that more people want to live there. Why, why don't they fill it up? We don't know, Neil. Uh, John was explaining there this morning that they couldn't fill it up. I told John on the day I spoke to him that I know for a fact there's people coming into Blackpool Community Centre. Have we any contacts in Cara House? Because whoever, the mum or the dad or whoever wants oh, to get in man, there. That's, but over the, last, over the last couple of years, Neil, they've been refusing to take people in there. Uh, I know John was putting a very 
positive spin on it because he's under so much pressure from different quarters to keep this place open. John needs to um, really rethink his position up there and allow people in there that have a grow for it and want to keep it open. But he, I mean, he, he's gone now. I can get him back if you wish, but you called in after I'd finished my conversation with him. He said that numbers had been dwindling there, but yet the paper this morning says, and you're saying that people actually want to find somewhere for their elderly parent to move into and they're asking about Moncara. Neil, I, as I say, I'll repeat again, I'm chairman of the I'm chairman of Blackwood Community Centre. I don't go around shouting that from the rooftops, but I am this morning. Because I think it's very important for people to know that Blackpool Community Centre want to back this 100% to keep it open. And we don't see any reason why it can't be kept open. And that's coming straight from John Sheehan when he told me first day everything was in order. I think the will has gone there from the Board of Management to keep it open. That's been truthful about And is there a, have they put a time scale on this as to when... Yeah, they've, they've, threatened, they've threatened the staff uh, with a, a definite date for next August, for this August, the end of this month, they want everybody out. And where do they suggest they, that the where do they suggest that the elderly residents go? They'll find somewhere. That's that's how they are putting it. They're, look, they'll find somewhere. You know, their families will have to step up to the plate. This kind of talk is going on. You know. And then what happens with Mount Cara itself? We don't know. Uh, there's talk of a, a, a methadone clinic going there. Um, that's the talk on the street uh, that, that John Sheehan is organising with the HSC to take it over for whatever purpose they need it for. That you would evict residents from an elderly residential care centre to put yeah. a methadone clinic in for heroin that's addicts. talk on the street. And I know John is going to deny all this. I know that. But look... I'm going to call it now as I see it because I'm sick of the, 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 the turnarounds and all this carry-on. I spent hours and hours on this thing and why would I waste my time if I was told initially from John Sheehan that there was no turn back for this place. But and is the this... way he put it was the model was outdated. And I can't he didn't say, he said the opposite to me. He said that we had two dozen of them before in Cork. We now have two or three. And that's the model, this model, smaller residential settings that we actually should be encouraging more. That's what he said to me. Neil, that's exactly why he came on the line, because I'm sick of the turnaround. All right, well, he's back on the phone, Dr. John Sheehan. John, thanks for bringing him back Good again. Morning, All right. Okay, so for, firstly, what's this... Firstly... What's the story with regards to a methadone clinic going in there? There is not. There is that's a myth, um, Neil. There is no plans for what is going to happen with Moncara if it closes. There is absolutely no plans, and um, it has. It has what? Sorry, I think I've lost him on that line. Actually, no. Sorry, I don't know. Did we? Did you clip that line? Maybe my God. He says that I will get him back, but he's saying there is no plans at all. Do you know the way you know you know the way stories start? Like you know, I do, but I know this this is factual story. Um, I I can't name the person that was seen up in their own carols, um, looking at it and uh, doing a survey there uh, in recent times. And uh, and that person wouldn't be up there man, doing a survey if it was exactly exactly. He wouldn't come out of his office for just to take water. But or, but but how do you know it's for how do you know it's for an injection center? Well, that's what we've been told. Yeah. That's what we've been told. John? No, that's, that's, there, there's no plans for Moncara at the moment as to the future. Is it being considered, though? 
It's not, no. It hasn't been considered for, for, for anything yet. Its remit under, as it was set up, is to provide housing for vulnerable elderly on the north side of the city. Um, there is no plans, there is no, you know, rumours, all rumours start taking over um, for something like this. There is nothing like that, Neil. Simple as. Because I would hate to be revisiting this story in six months' time when it is an injection centre, you know? Yeah, you know, and you know what, Neil, if I could just come in there, mate, please. Mm-hmm. Um, last night, I was up in that gathering above outside my car, and I was scared, right, because of social distancing. Very difficult to keep social distancing up there. People are passionate about uh, keeping this place open. And I'm looking at that last night, and I'm saying, you know, John Sheehan organised all this. John Sheehan is after causing all this. There was absolutely no need for people to be putting themselves in danger last night. But they did, and they will um, do. It. They will do again next week. They will do again next week. How did he cause John it? Sheehan, he, John, well, John Sheehan came out and told the staff and everybody else up there that this place is closing and there's no comeback. There's no change. It's outdated. That's what he said to me. It's outdated. John, John, respond to that because that's not what you were telling me. Yeah. Two, two things, Neil. One, first of all, in terms of the admissions, we have been closed for admissions, and that's why we have 16 um, residents at the moment. We've been closed for admissions due to the COVID. That was being the HSE advice not to take admissions, not to take respite admissions. And that's why our numbers is um, at, uh, at 16. I'm aware some residents, some families wanted to get their their loved one in over the last couple of months. But the HSE guidelines and the public health guidelines have been not to take admissions during the COVID period. And that's why we're at 16 residents compared to... Yeah, but did you number. say in the past John, that it was... Clo- John, sorry. Yeah, go on, sorry, Neil, sorry, Neil. No, what I'm saying is I'm not talking about the COVID period at all because I know myself, you know, we're not stupid. We know people won't be admitted in there during the COVID period. We know that. I'm going back two years, ever before the COVID was around, when people were being refused admission in, in up there. They couldn't get in there. And John Sheen told me that. He said it was gone past people coming in there because it's so expensive. He said they can get a free somewhere at one place and they have to pay up there. That was his excuse. Now everything is changing with John again. I'm not talking about the COVID period at all. I'm talking about... So, over the, over the past number of years, people have been trying to find a place for a loved one, an elderly relative, not just during the COVID period. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure what Bill's referring to, but maybe what he's referring to there, Neil, is Moncara hasn't been full. Now, we, will, we do take people. We've actually have been taking people... Um, people can get, if you have an elderly relative who has to get respite care under the HSE current guidelines, they get two free weeks in a nursing home, but they have to pay in Moncara. And unfortunately, it's very hard to compete against free, and Moncara hasn't had full occupancy for the last two years. But yeah, but he's saying people? that people have been trying no. to get a place there. Well, that's, you know, that's incorrect. I mean, why would we be refusing people? That just doesn't Because maybe, maybe some plan was formed a number of years ago to wind it down and use it for another purpose. No, absolutely not, Neil. And that's why, Neil, I You hit the nail on the head, Neil. And people know that, Neil. And we have definite proof of that as well. So I tell you, Neil, I'm embarrassed here because I tell you why, right? I offered... John Sheehan Health and his board of management from the Blackpool Community Centre. They totally disrespected us by not even making contact again with us. So listen, Neil, I would prefer, I would prefer now, if John Sheehan just stepped away from all this, please, 
And a lot of people in there that love Mount Clara and they want to run it up there, do the best they can to run it. Uh, it's, it's not going to be easy. We know that. But I believe the present board of management are doing a lot of damage to Mount Clara at the moment. Just sampled last night. If the HSE are listening to all this carry on, coming from John to say that the, the building up there is untruthful, they are never again going to fund Mount Clara. No, he's putting the whole thing in danger. He knows that. He knows that himself. I don't know what his agenda is, but he's doing that. No, he offered people redundancy. He's telling people that if they don't take the redundancy, it's going to be lost. The money is gone. All this carry-on deal is going on behind the scenes. From John Sheehan. Personally, from John Sheehan. So please, I don't want to discuss it anymore. Online, on air, I'm sorry. Great time for you, Neil, really have, but this is a very, very serious subject in Blackpool at the moment, and I'm not going to tarnish it. So I'm asking John to step down and allow people in there that will run the place. Firstly, firstly, John, Bill is saying that you had a complete reversal in what you had said to him a number of weeks ago. It was gone beyond his best before date. It wasn't a proper model. You told me the opposite this morning, and then he says you spoke to staff and said, take the redundancy or it'll be lost. What's going on? No, and, and, you know, I've been involved in Mount Clara for 20 years and I've worked really hard. And there's no big hidden agenda there. Or there's no, you know, this is a charity, Neil. And these are volunteers. There's no hidden agenda. There's no, you know, master plan to turn it into something. This is a charity that's used for helping and supporting. I know that. That's the history that. lesson. That's not what it, But like, yeah. just, on, just on that subject, when it's closed, it will be used for something else, though, won't it? If it's closed. Yeah, but it'd be some charitable purpose. It might be sheltered housing for elderly. It might be... But sure, it's, it's already that. Yes, but like sheltered apartments or something. We, but we have no plans for what has happened at the moment. I mean, this notion of a drug treatment centre is off the wall. So. Neil, I'm sorry, but John is totally confused. I'm asking John again to step down, you know, and walk away from this because he is totally and utterly confused. And he won't confuse us. He won't confuse us. We see things very clearly. He is totally and utterly confused. I can line up 20 people at the moment that have different stories of things they were promised and things they were right to get out of there. Uh, that's going on, Neil, and that's the stop. All right, that's okay. Stop. Okay, just on, on that point, John, Bill is asking you to step down. Well, I, I, I was chair for the last three years, Neil, and I worked really hard for Mankara because I really care about Mankara. The staff... I know, but are you saying one thing... That's not, I know that. Are you saying no, one thing I, in public and behaving differently in private? No, I mean, why would I, Neil? I mean, this is a... Violent, I have no idea. I have no idea. You know? I have no idea. Yeah, no. yeah. I mean, there's no big conspiracy here. We're, you know, everyone wants to save Mankara. I'm not into fighting. I'm not into personalising things. I'm not into making wild accusations. That's not my style. My style is to work away in the background, make the case, make the argument, and continue to do that. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it for Mankara. I'm not doing it because there's a knee shouting or doing something or calling something or having some big hidden agenda. I'm going to do it because he I has no hidden He's no hidden agenda. He's just well, he's a man alleging, who lives and works in Blackpool. He's alleging that the board has some sort of nefarious reason for wanting to close it. And this kind of, it's hard in the streets, it's going to be a drug treatment centre. You know, sort of, and that, that's scaremongering to be fair, Neil. I don't think that's the correct way of approaching something. All right. Okay. Ja, no, yeah. I just come in there for yeah, a yeah, second, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, I know. That's why, that was why he was very slow to come in here, right? Uh, I know John's farm. I know the way he walks. He walks in the background, as he just said himself. All John had to do was write to the Board of Management, the Black Hole Community Centre, out of respect for all the help we gave them through the years, just to explain what was happening in Mount Clara uh, in detail. 
and then I ended up ringing him and asking him for that. Now, I know intention of coming on the phone here. I okay. don't show it. I don't, and I don't tell lies. Uh, I, 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 I abhor telling lies. I don't tell lies. I'm, I'm talking the truth, right? And I can prove it. John, I'm asking you again. Just step away from it, John. You're confused. And you're confusing everybody else around you. And you're, caught, you're putting people's lives in danger now at the moment. There's another vigil planned for next Wednesday night. Okay. To be honest, I, 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 there will be a big crowd there. I know that. I hope there will be a big uh, crowd. But John, you're not, just fine. you're not for stepping down, though. No, I'm for working and trying to sort out problems. Okay, thank you both for now. Thank you both, Dr. John Sheehan, Bill Dunley, the chairman of the Blackpool Community Centre. That's one that there are... Listen, I see other calls and texts coming in on this and uh, I'm happy to keep a close eye on this in the coming weeks ahead. Um, And again, that could make all of the difference, you know, public reaction to something like this. I mean, you are talking about... uh, stating the bleeding obvious here like what you're talking about people's homes and you're talking about people's jobs and you're talking about a very tight tight knit community uh, 1850-104-106 on that and all other business um, just a quick call just ahead of the break Michael good morning good morning Neil ok Neil, go ahead I presume like everything else all this is about money if I said to you for starters for the, on the south side man but for, for, for starters there's 50,000 quid there to help Moncara to, to refinance and update but the deplorable thing that happened in this country recently was three guys were promoted to junior ministers and they got 16,000 each, so that's the best part of 50,000. That was deplorable. That should not have happened. And I'm asking the likes of Michal Martin, our teacher, Simon Coveney and Michal McGrath to get this bloody thing stopped and money put to deserving causes like what you're actually talking about. That's all I have to say. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're three Southside TDs, though. I mean, yeah, they're... yeah, but by coincidence, they're, 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 they're senior ministers in the Cabinet. There's no outside senior minister in the cabinet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it should be done. This is absolutely ridiculous. And don't forget, these particular gentlemen, these particular gentlemen are getting massive expenses. Yes, and wasn't there a big story uh, over the last couple of weeks about Simon Coveney's drivers and his, his state cars and stuff, wasn't there? Yeah, it was a matter of opinion there. I think the man would deserve it in terms because he does, he's a brilliant guy, he does fantastic work for Ireland for the city. No, but it's a, and, at a cost of something like 200 grand a year. Yeah, I don't know, I didn't look into that. But as I say, in regards to the 50 grand annual for openers, if somebody said, OK, by the way, these three junior ministers are not getting total 50,000, it's going to the likes of Mount Cara. It's to be better spent and to be more beneficial to the community and the poor misfortunes, elderly people who are up there. Thank you, Michael. Back after the break on 1850-104-106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. People make enough noise about this, then it could well be reversed. People power makes a huge difference. We've seen that in the past. There's a story in the Echo this morning on this in a photograph of Paddy O'Brien, um, super worker for the elderly, and he's uh, with a resident, Jenny Martin, a 92-year-old resident, 92 years old. That's her home, and she's smiling over the gate, and Paddy's standing next to her. Sometimes photographs just speak louder than words, don't they? Um, we'll stay with this. Oh, can I just say, uh, as a by the way, because this is kind of important, unrelated matter, got a text in this morning to my own phone. Uh, appreciate it, Jordan. Much obliged to you. He gave me a shout this morning. What did I do with the damn thing? Hang on a second. It, it, I mean, it could well be important to somebody's life. He says, I just passed a wad of cash on the road on George's Quay. 50 euro notes blowing everywhere. The wallet with cards on the road and the money blowing away in the wind. A CIE bus driver stopped along with a young man and collected the scattered cash, the cards and the wallet. So if one of your listeners lost a wallet and cash, contact CIE. 
50s blown everywhere. Not a bad place to be on a Thursday morning with the wad of 50s still in your wallet. But that's where it is. If it's yours and you can prove that it's yours, get in touch with CIE. They should have it. Meanwhile, uh, to the Secretary of Glen Rover's Social Initiative, John Pearson. John, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Incidentally, um, are, you black, are you back playing Ga? No, our club is and we had a very successful win last uh, our senior team had a very successful win last Saturday night but more importantly than that um, I'm a member of the social initiative I'm the secretary of the social initiative in the Glen Rovers now we're a group of um, senior citizens in one sense who provide uh, activities for our own members but part of that is we have a choir which visit various centres around the city and one of them happens to be Mount Carmel Moncara, I think, is it? I'm sorry, my pardon. That's okay. My apologies, Moncara. One of the things that I've always noticed about there is the care and attention that the staff give to the clients above there. It's unbelievable. It's really and truly. It's home from home. And you get that feeling when you enter the door and go and, and, and visit them, you get the feeling that the people there are so comfortable that it's their home from home. And the residents themselves are so comfortable in that setting that it would be a shame for for somebody to decide to close it and like what I'm calling for in one sense and I was there last night I was in a distance I was there in a personal capacity and I saw I, I saw the fear in some people's faces that their loved ones could be I suppose thrown out of there for, for were people upset last night then yes there's no doubt about it. There were people there, and you could see it. You could see it. Now, it was gratifying to see the residents inside. And the one thing that I personally, I suppose, and, and members of my group regret is that we're unable, due to COVID, to go and visit these centres. Because we look forward. It's an activity that we actually look forward to a couple of times a year. But, like, you could see people there, relatives of, of, of the residents there, and you could see the concern on their faces. Incidentally, there were quite a number of people, I'd say, that had no connection at all with them, but were given the support, as I was myself, uh, given the support for the retention. Because of, they feel that it's wrong. It, 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 it's, they not feel it is wrong. There's no doubt about it. And there is, I have to say this, and I don't want to be, I don't want to be argumentative because it's not, not my nature to be argumentative, but... There is a hidden or a secret agenda in relation to it. Surely to goodness, to suggest that you put people out into the four winds, so to speak, and then have a building above there, and no doubt about it, people do need social housing, and people do need that extra bit of care, and provide it for them above there. But what I would be worried about, we've been talking for such a long time about uh, looking after our elderly. And here's a golden opportunity that they are being looked after in a very, very well organised way. Mm. And they're going to find themselves to the four winds at the end of the day. I know, I know, I know. So you, your choir goes in maybe, what, like at Christmas time and once or twice a we year? We go in twice a year. We, we, we go in twice a year. I say twice a year because we go to... Um, we go to places like Bellafie Han and we go to uh, Model Farm Road and we go up to the orthopedic and we've gone elsewhere and we, we, we provide a little bit, that little bit of comfort for a couple of times uh, a year for them and other people, right? And it, it's, it, it's a pleasure for us and it's, it's a bit of, I suppose, a bit of variety for the residents see, of the various correct. homes. You see, you're attend. absolutely right when you say that this proposal to close it is one thing and it's shocking and wrong. But at the same time, 
nobody is stating as to what's going to be, what, how, how that property and premises is going to be used. And the truth needs to be told about the plans now, doesn't it? Well, now's the time to come out in the open and say, look, we're going to do this or we're going to do that with that premises. But it's certainly not going to be left vacant. And if it is going to be left vacant, you know, and I know, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, it will fall foul of the blackguards that we have around all over the city, not just in the north, all over the city. That will become a, a focal point for them to start gathering around and in as such. Okay, well, people need to make noise about it and need to talk it up, and maybe we could get it reversed if people get uh, passionate enough about it. The first call is support for the support for for the. I hate using the word protest. Support for the vigil. That are the vigil. Support for the vigil next Wednesday night and subsequent Wednesday nights. That would be the most important thing of all. But keep the thing live. Let people start talking about it. Uh, Let let them talk about it in their local community because this is a community-based facility that should be and must be retained. All right. Appreciate you taking the call. Thank you, John Pearson from the Glen Rovers. I would have thought that these small models are the way forward, you know, rather than big models where 100, 150 or 200 residents would all be in the one area, particularly as we move from this pandemic into probably another pandemic and more and more of these things. I would have thought that smaller units would have been an awful lot more effective and healthier and safer places to be. But what do I know? I do, I do know that it's been announced, just as a by the way, the Cork City Council have been awarded 2.1 million euro for housing adaptation. So they've got over two million to play with. Uh, Never mind the fact that Cork County Council have been given nearly six million uh, to play with. So there is a lot of money uh, in the City Council bank accounts. Uh, I know that they're saying that they're operating uh, at a constant loss and what have you and with, you know, COVID and rates issues, things are are tighter. But these are the figures that have just been announced. I was sent copies from this morning. 2.1 million for Cork City for housing adaptation. Surely there's something in that budget to keep Mount Cara afloat. Uh, lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. You can text zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. If you have calls or texts on that, I will come back to it throughout the course of the morning. A lot of other business as well, and don't forget also another opportunity to win for yourself one of our uh, fifty euro lunch or bistro dinner, or maybe a spot of food and a bit of grub, uh, courtesy of ourselves and um, the Oriel House Hotel in Ballincollig. We have uh, six more fifty euro vouchers. Again today, a lot of it will be based on calls and texts to the programme and then we'll open the phone lines and give some of them away as well. So that's 50 euro bar and bistro vouchers every day, today included at the Oriel House Hotel. You might want to pop out there. Advanced booking is recommended. It's a lovely spot. Beautiful indoors, gorgeous outdoors when the sun is shining. Further details, orielhousehotel.ie. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie. Text 0868104106. Just as a by the way, you know, we come up with all sorts of wacky things on the air here and ways of giving away different prices and different stories that people have to tell. And from time to time, I've uh, done stuff on the air with regards to how did you propose to your loved one? You know, uh, the crazier the story, the better. Was so what makes the Times newspaper in the UK this morning? This guy was uh, going completely over the top proposing uh, to his girlfriend, a fellow called Albert. Albert Drew, a 26-year-old, planned to propose by spelling out marry me in tea candles in their apartment. So he had to get 100 tea lights and about 60 balloons. Um, It didn't help, I suppose, that the balloons were filled 
with helium. He spent two weeks planning the proposal, uh, filled the living room of the flat he shares with his girlfriend with 100 tea lights and 60 balloons. He then left, of course he had the tea lights lit, he then left to pick up his girlfriend to bring her home from work to surprise her and propose. But when the two of them got back, they found that they had visitors. Three fire crews because the entire flat was gutted and destroyed and all they were welcomed with was a shell and dark smoke coming from the door. Their apartment was gutted. Everything inside it went up. She did say yes, incidentally. I have an awful fear of candles. I wonder in a former life, did I die in a fire or something? I really and truly do, because maybe it's just I'm hearing so many stories down through the years, whether it's candles or whether it's the bloody cords from blinds. Um, my, my family think I'm completely over the top about it, but that's just the way it is. I, like, I, I really worry about candles all of the time, particularly if I'm not at home and people are lighting them and stuff like that. But anyway, that's for another day. Lines open, one 104 106 Thank you so much. The bus driver, William O'Flaherty, phoned the programme this morning. Remember I was telling you about all the 50 euro notes that were floating around on George's Quay this morning. Well, William O'Flaherty was the bus driver, as I was referring to. He was the bus driver who found the money, collected it all up, the wallet, the cards and everything. Fair play to him. It has since been returned to the woman who lost it. He can't take a call right now, but there you have it. Another kind gesture from a fellow Corkonian. Well done, William O'Flaherty, for collecting all the money and returning it to whomever owns it. Apparently, there was a serious wad of cash there. So fair play to you. And for you for your kind gesture on a time when you are not driving your bus. I would like to give you a 50 euro bar and bistro voucher for the Oriel House Hotel bar and bistro for that kind gesture. Well done, William. Um, We'll get back on to you. I hope we have a contact. Get an address and we'll get you sorted. And you and whomever you choose to stick with, you can head off for a spot of tea or a spot of lunch or a bit of dinner and a drink at the Oriel House Hotel bar and bistro. So thank you for that. Well done. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. On we go on this Thursday morning. Mary worked in Cara House for twenty five years. Mary, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? What is going on? What I mean, you worked there for so long. I I, I did. No, I I worked voluntary. I tell you my story. My mother was my mother fell and broke her pelvis. She went into Cara House for respite afterwards, and at the time, Sister Margaret was in charge, and she was just a fantastic sister, and also Mary Mary O'Sullivan was the nurse in charge there. She, and she turned out to be the manager. Now, Mary died five years ago, and it went downhill after Mary dying, really. But other than that, my mother, I went up and did my mother's hair, and the following day, Sister Margaret rang me to know would I come up and do some of the residents' hair that were mad about my mother's hair and all that. And I went up every Saturday until four years ago. For how I long? finished four years. For about 25 or 26 years. You spent 25 or six years doing the residents' hair every Saturday? Every Saturday, yeah. Now, my holiday break, then I'd have another girl come in. She's up there this morning. She goes on a Thursday, Jennifer. She goes on a Thursday morning. And I, I loved it. And we used to sing and we'd cry and we'd laugh and we had great times. And they're the nicest bunch of girls that worked there, the carers, the nurses. You couldn't get a nicer place. You must, Actually, have, met, always, you must have met dozens and dozens and dozens I of I'd residents. hundreds. I did, I did. And every 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 single one of them were nicer than the other. And men's hair, I'd have cut their men's hair. They were just super, every single one of them. And it's a shame. Now, I went up there last night to the vigil and to see the, the, the residents' faces looking out the window. It would break your heart, Neil. You know, my mother was there and she just loved it. Now, my mother used to go in and out for respite. She didn't, she wasn't permanent there. 
but she used to go in, like, for her two weeks and go home and come back in, in a couple of months again. And she just loved going in there. She felt so safe and comfortable in there that it was great. I know. It's a shame to see the people's faces last night. There's one lady there. She's hundreds since June. Come on, you know, I mean, it, it's a shame to see them moving out. It really is. So they're being asked and, and to pack up all of their belongings. One woman here I see is 92. You're referring to another resident who's, do you say she's 100? 90. She's 100. She's 100 since June. So Laura Murphy. Pack she's your bags where we're going to move go. you. Yeah. Yeah, and go. And, you know, like it was Bishop Murphy that gave the ground and the res- the house to the people of the north side for respite. And I, I can't understand why they don't continue it. You know, if you, if you have to go to hospital now, Neil, at the moment, you get a coronavirus test. So why don't they, why don't they do that for the residents who want to go in there? You know, if, if there's no coronavirus in Carr House at the moment, so the people that come in there can be tested before they go in. You haven't heard and, what and they want to... to you, yeah, you haven't heard... Well, I mean, in better days ahead, they could take in more and they could have another 10, so there'd be 25 in total. 16 at the moment. No, I, I heard their excuse was that there's not enough... Of, they, didn't, they need a bathroom, an ensuite. Come on, everybody don't need... They don't need an ensuite. <clears throat> when I, in, my, in earlier days, there's a nurse used to go in there and bat them, bat the patients who, who couldn't do it for themselves. Do you know what they'd bat them? People are quite I mean, happy. People are quite happy with the way things are there right now. They're so happy there. there. There's nothing wrong with it. There is nothing. The food is excellent and the care is excellent. There's nothing wrong with it. Nothing is all wrong with it. Yeah, okay. There's another it's vigil next Wednesday and here's next hoping. Wednesday we'll we'll, we'll yeah. be at that vigil, incidentally, and please, I hope that please. other... And the more turnout, the better. There was a good crowd there last night, but there could be far more there. Do you know, it's it was, it was, it's great. It's, I, the board of management would want to cop on now and, and sort this out, you know, once and for all. 25 years doing people's hair in there on a voluntary yeah, basis. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I loved my job. You might have known Cesar's in Albert Plunkett Street, which probably before your time, Neil. But some some, some bell is ringing in my head, there. all right. Is that as in, as in Caesar the word, is it? Yeah, Cesar. He's, he was a famous hairdresser long ago. I do vaguely remember that. So is, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where, where was he from? Where was he from overseas, was he? Uh, he was English. He was English, yeah. He was English. And did you, mm. were you a hairstylist there? I served my time there and I, my mother at the time had to pay £60 for me to train inside in Cesar's. In That's the way it used to be when you were serving your yeah. time or work starting out yeah. as an apprentice. You had to pay for the yeah. privilege. You did, you did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> and we got kittens in return, about one fifty wages I had then coming home. Oh, but you, anyway. but it was on it was on the basis <laughs> that they said they were training you, I suppose. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was fabulous. I loved my job, loved it. And then it was great that I could give it back to Car House. My mother was so proud then that I was going up doing their hair. And I, my mother died in nineteen ninety eight. So it was. It was just. And you continued, I, I, I suppose, I, I, in some I extent, continued. in her in her memory, I suppose, yeah. I did. I continued going up there every every single week. Loved it. Loved That's it. It's a lovely story. Beautiful lovely. story. Loved it. Up Mary, there. it's lovely yeah. talking to you. Thanks so much. I know Thank you're you passionate mean. about so it. Do your, best, do your best to keep this open. Oh, please. we'll keep. As the fellow says, we'll keep it lit. Do you know, we're going to overcome this. We shall overcome, Neil.
We'll fight it. Overcome. You'll fight it. Yes, All right. indeed. Yes, indeed. Thanks a lot, Mary. Appreciate that. Hi, uh, just listening to the discussion on Mount Cara. Uh, we are neighbours of Mount Cara, and I feel the turnout last night was quite small, and the support wasn't as big as it should be, especially from local councillors and a no-show from the bishop. We need more local support for the issue. Hopefully this will increase after today's discussion. It was so sad last night to see the residents in the windows with their posters waving out. I found it heartbreaking. This is their home and what's keeping most of them going. It's all many it's all many of them have it's all that many of them have known for years and they've no idea when they have to leave or where they will end up. All they've been told is it's towards the end of August they have to go. The staff members are absolutely amazing and it's also unfair on them as they don't know the exact date of closure. Thank you for that text to 0868104106. You really and truly did sum it up. There is another vigil next Wednesday night. Let's drive the numbers on. Um, uh, bearing in mind, of course, that there is social distancing because of COVID, but that could easily be overcome. As Avada says, we shall overcome. To the phone lines we go. Wayne, good morning. How you doing, Neil? How you doing? What's on your mind? I'm just texting in there about what's got it about uh, everything going on, like at the moment it's COVID and everything, like you know, about how how Ireland at the moment is the way it's gone and basically everything is reverting around money as such like you know albeit fair enough about the virus in place and, and everything like that going on in the world and we're trying to overcome all that but, in, but when it comes down to nuts and bolts about everything everything in this country it's just about money and it's it's never going to change the country itself it's, ne- it's never going to sort itself out properly Era, we're, not all, we're not all that bad I mean no disrespect to them but we're not Lebanon which is just a ridiculously I mean they just they just had a huge they just had a huge explosion in Lebanon hundreds of people died you know why they were, they were storing ammunition and gunpowder and weapons on yeah. the port for the last five years nobody was looking after it because the country is totally and utterly politically corrupt Correct. Well, what's got it? And to be totally honest with you now, we have the three boys above in Dublin now. I'm not saying they're corrupt or not, or by no stretch of the imagination, but what the reality of it all is that to, to, they don't know what they're doing. And uh, what's got it? And the reality of it all, the, the country is breaking down bit by bit by bit. You can see it there, listening to the radio there every day, watching the news there at night. The, the people are absolutely scared, petrified of everything going on the walls. All the publicans, three and a half thousand of them, they're all going to be pretty much going to be out of business. Not all of them, but the majority of them are going to be. That's going to be tailoring on then to staff that, that are go- that, that are they're going to lose. 50 or 60,000 people are going to are potentially going to be out of work in, in the next several months, like, you know. And, uh, and, and, that, and that, that home then up the north side, their car home, like, you know, and, uh, and they're looking for money and that and everything going on in the world. What's got it? The reality of all is the, the boys in Dublin don't know what's going on. They don't care. And they're, but, they but they, they've, been throw, they've been throwing money at it like confetti at a wedding. But watch, got it. They're throwing money at it. But watch, where's the money going to? That's the question. Like you know, you mean you, you have to you have to agree with me on the different packages they put in with regards to wage subsidies and pop payments. I mean. That was brilliant. Ireland, as we know right now, Neil, is on life support. Yeah, I know. But I know. That, but that was a listen. I know. I know that. But imagine where we would been if people had been told paddle your own canoe. You lost your job. Well, sign on the door. What they've been telling us for years and years and years to paddle our own canoe for a lot of things. Watch, while everyone, while everyone at the bottom of the run are screaming out looking for help, the boys at the top are doing quite well. Watch, got it, and nothing has changed. Watch, got it. There's politicians above there, three boys, super juniors or whatever the Fleming called, after getting massive pay rises. While everyone else is in the country, is all is, the majority of people in this country 
are on COVID-19 payments. I don't get all of this business. We have ministers, we have junior ministers, we have super We're junior ministers. I suppose we'll have, we'll have, we'll have um, jumbo-sized ministers that, next and then family-packed ministers. Super-sized ministers. Like the London city alone, there's 8 million people living in London city. 9 million people. And we're a population of four and a half million people. Watch, I, I, I just don't add, I just can't get the numbers right in my head. How the hell they seem to think that we need 160 or 80 TDs all making massive amounts of money every year without fail, pension on top of pension on top of pension. Watch, they need, to, they need all these politicians to run a country of four and a half million people. Currently, right, right now as we stand, there's only about 1.1 million people actually working and paying tax into the tax brackets in Ireland because the rest of the country are either elderly, children, or all on COVID-19 payments. That's the reality of it all. And they came out yesterday and they told us that Ireland is, is, is in a deficit of 8 billion euros. And then they turned around and told us then that we're going to be down by the end of the year by 30 billion euros. 1.1 million people working, paying tax into the economy in this country, divide that into 30 billion. And I guarantee you one thing, we're in for a hell of a long road down. And we're going to be all going back to 50 pence in the pound shortly if things keep going the way they are. Right. And it's the people at the bottom that are going to get screwed because the people at the top don't care because they fundamentally believe that if we pay the boys enough at the top, it will trickle down. It's called the trickle-down effect. And then it's not trickling down to nobody. It's stopping in their back pocket and they don't care about the boys at the bottom. That's what's happening in this country. And it's like the car house and everyone else, the 3,500 publicans that are going to lose their jobs, are going to lose their businesses, are going to lose everything across the board. We are in for an avalanche of problems in this country. And it's the three boys above in Dublin that don't know what they're doing. Your man from the Green Party is only out looking for cycle paths and walkways. That's all he wants. And watch, he wants us all to be driving around in electric scooters and all this type of crap. Mion Martin has been handed a poison chalice. He's going to be gone in two years' time. And Leo Vaca has to be in power in two years to be in line for a major job in Europe by 2024. <laughs> that's the game they're playing. <laughs> And that's what's happening in this country. All Ireland right. is broke, and that's a sad thing about this country. Fair, we're a all right, fair country, play. Fair play. And we're great, and we're great people, and it's a sad way it's going to be in this country. Fair play. And I'm sorry for those people above in Carter House. Irish, the uh, Cork's version of Nostradamus. Fair play to you, Wayne. Appreciate it. Stay in touch. All Cheers. right. Look after yourself, Neil. Cheers. Billy Keane this morning says, they say, and he's a publican down in Listowel. He took over his dad's pub. Uh, it was down in Listowel, actually, a couple of weeks back. Beautiful town. Beautiful ta- is it a town or a village? Well, it's a town, really. Uh, yeah, it's a town. He sa- he's got a pub there. It's closed, obviously. And he says, they say shutting pubs... They say by shutting pubs, the schools will stay open. He says in The Independent this morning, the last time I remember, I don't seem to... The last time I was open as a publican, I don't seem to remember seeing too many primary school kids failing to observe social distancing after three or four pints. He says, we're damned if we open and we're damned if we don't. The tourist season is as good as gone for us. And soon enough, many publicans will be singing the last rose of summer. In his column in The Independent this morning, he says, soon enough, there will be no traditional pubs left. And some of the older publicans want out. They'll be looking for a licence buyout on the lines of the fishing industry when fishermen had their licences bought out because they could no longer carry on or found it viable to carry on, I suppose. Billy Keane this morning says, A village without a pub is a dead village. Who will replace us when we are all gone? As I was telling you earlier in my article, we did up the pub. The floor was given four coats of shiny varnish. You could shave yourself from the reflection in the wood. We know our customers miss the laughs. Us publicans and our staff are good at drawing people out, getting them to talk with a few drinks in, maybe listening to their troubles when there are quiet times. You know, he says, you know, we're not a bad old sort, us pub people. 
We try our best to make the most, not just of our own lives, but yours too. And soon enough, many will be gone. And we'll be the 10th, and will, and will the 10th day of August 2020 be forever known as the day the fun died. And that's just some sections in Billy Keane's column in this morning's Irish Independent. Beautifully, beautifully written. But you'd expect that because the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Marion Healy runs 24 pubs in the south of England. Joins me by phone. Marion, good morning. Good morning, Leo. So that's, that's Billy Keane's article in The Independent this morning from a, a fellow publican. Um, do you feel for the Irish pubs, incidentally? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's the, the hub of the community and everything, and especially the Irish pubs. And uh, like here, it's the great British pub. And um, yeah, I, I, I do feel for it because, you know, they're, they're getting ready to have it done like we had all the preparations for it and then it's not happening. It's very, very disappointing for them, you know. And so, just yeah. with regards to your own story, Marion, you're a Cork girl. Yes, yes, we are. Yes, we um, we left Cork um, thirty years ago, and uh, we um, that's what we went into here with, uh, with the pubs, running pubs in the south of England. You started with one, and then two, and before you knew it, you had twenty-four. Is it? Yes, exactly. And uh, we came to England with six children, and four of them are are part of the the, the business. Uh, the others went their own way and done their own um, their own thing, but uh, we have the four with us as well, and it's a family it's a family business. Um, there isn't course, enough of you to spread over the twenty four, though. How do you keep an eye on them all? No, we have managers. I we know. have very very good managers. Yeah. So that's that's how that's how it's worked, you know. And during the lockdown, they were absolutely amazing. So we closed down the twenty third of March. And um, we didn't know when we were going to open again. So we opened on the 4th of July. Um, But there was an awful lot of of, uh, work to have to put into that. And any pub reopening, no matter where it is, will have to do that. So we had the guidance. We had to buy uh, an awful lot of of things like sanitizers, dividers, outside screens. Um, And then before we opened, we um, the managers put um, uh, guidance on their Facebooks showing the people because it's all about putting confidence in the people uh, or the customers that are coming in because mm. they are afraid and I'm sure that people in, in Ireland are afraid of that as well. Yeah, Mark was saying to me on the air yesterday here because he's got friends in London he said even though the London pubs and the bigger pubs are open it doesn't necessarily mean that people are comfortable to go into them, you know. Yes, and I fully understand that. My daughter-in-law um, was shielding. My my husband is 70, so he was shielding. And uh, so I understand that. But by giving them the things that, uh, that when they come in, so you take, I know you've done research on the Wyvern, which is our, our, our nearest one. So there... Um, That's the, the Wyvern come, pub in a place called Fleet. That's right. Yeah. yeah, that's it. So there, what we, we, we I'll just take this as an example. So we, uh, the customer comes in and waits for somebody to, to be taken to their table. And then there's a, 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 a nap to do the ordering. So they, they go to their table and there's no standing up. There's no stools around the, the counter. So they're in what they call a house, household bubble. 
So if there's four or six or whatever, they're, they're in that bubble. So then the drinks comes, the, the food comes, and they have to give their name and their address and their, their mobile number because if anything happens, then we can trace them. And we can know who was in we, that we, we have much of that here. You're describing a, you're describing a scenario in, in many restaurants yeah. and, and bistro pubs where people yeah. have to give a contact number. And in fact, John O's in Douglas, uh, one of the big pubs there that does food and, and drink, you also order off an app and the food comes via the app to your table. I mean, the app yes. doesn't bring it, obviously, a staff yes. member does. But, so, yeah. but you, have a, you have a thing called a, a fogging system, don't you? No, that's that's yes, that's something that um, <clears throat> we are doing in, in all the pubs again. So the pub closes, um, well, takes away them again. They closed at eight o'clock at night, and these guys come in with the white suits and they fog it. It's it's a foggy machine. It's it's um, what I say, sanitizing the whole pub. That is the toilets, the the. the the flows, every single part of it. It's guaranteed that uh, for 30 days, that pub is virus-free. And it's not just the COVID, it is every virus that they could be, if they had the flu or whatever it is. And that's that's the way we're going forward because then, again, a lot of the feedback from the customers is they feel more confident. Yes, but if the pub is fogged, that means the pub is technically virus-free when the pub is fogged. But if somebody comes in with COVID-19, that changes, doesn't it? Well, I'm hoping then that it won't won't transfer because uh, everything will be... Ah, uh, yeah, I see. I mean? The the spraying yeah. and the sanitizing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and kill it straight away. Yeah, yeah. For, for a 30-day period. Now I understand. Exactly. Now I understand. Yeah. And, and are your pubs small, medium and large pubs? Um, they're all different pubs, actually. They're, um, they're all um, they're rural pubs, they're high street pubs, they're country pubs. Um, but we were just amazed how it did kick back in and I know probably the economy needed it to open but it, you know it, it really did yeah. because uh, hospitality over here is, is very big and it's just every individual have to make their own minds I mean I I was nervous of course at the beginning about going in because I'm getting on in years as well but um, but if you have the confidence that that pub is doing everything it does um, you know, there are pubs that are not going by the guidance. Well, you know, you've heard the story well. out of Edinburgh where all the pubs and restaurants have closed again because there was something like 60 or 70 cases came out of one particular... Was it Aberdeen? Yeah. My apologies. One yeah. particular Aberdeen pub. That's right. And that would be our, our biggest nightmare. But we're doing everything to, to protect it. And because if the pubs didn't open on the 1st, 4th of July, then there'd be an awful lot of you know, unemployment. That for once, the breweries, of course, uh, you know, they, they, there's, it's a big, big economy. And so he had to, he had to do something. Now, the nightclubs haven't uh, opened yet, which in a little bit uh, causes a bit of, problem because of course people at 10 o'clock when they'd be going from the the pubs they'd be going to the nightclubs the longer younger generation Mm. but we pay we we actually um we closed down earlier so that there won't be any of that and how many how long can somebody stay in your pub oh 
as, as long as they want. Okay, as so long as they are uh, st- doing what they're done by the guidance. I mean, the managers will say it's like being a teacher. Sit down, go down. But, you know, they are doing it. And it's like as if, when I was in one of them yesterday, it's like the 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 public now are getting used to they have to do that. You know, that they don't be standing up, shifting from pub, from table to table. Yes. Um, and, of course, the cleaning. Cleaning after every, you know, there's a change of, of, of customer at the table and what have you. Um, and it so, must have been a joy then, particularly in the smaller towns and more to the point, the villages, to have the little pubs open again for people who would use them as the hub uh, of the community. Absolutely, Neil. I mean, there's a little pub up near near Luton, and it went. You know, they, they were so. But during the lockdown, that pub was the hub of it. They were taking the parcels, they were getting the prescriptions, they were doing the food banks, and then the community. You know, it, we're seeing people coming back that weren't actually using the pub before. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, and. It's 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 paying off and it's okay. But again, I'm I'm saying that it's not about money or anything. It's the confidence that you put in your customers and say, we've spent this and that. You can't just open the doors and not spend a lot of money. Yeah, but you're aware of some of the carry on here, like with dodgy receipts and people not being offered food and. You know, oh, like really? some people yeah, are kind of tearing the arse out of it. But there are three and a half thousand that haven't opened. How do you feel about that? Well, you see, the ones that are not, again, of course, that'll go on because the, the ones with, like, I know I'm in contact with my sister in, in Ireland and, and, and the other relatives and they tell me what's happening. That, but <clears throat> that can't happen here because we're all on the one on the one sheet, yes, if you yeah, know what I mean. yeah. yeah. So and of course, the more that is open, the spread the, the spread of the, the the community will spread. You know, in 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 terms. There'll be less of, congregating because there'll be more yes. variety and choice. Yes. I know what you're saying. Exactly. All right. Exactly. Well, I'm glad it's I'm glad it's worked out for you. Do you, do you get home? Has. Do you get home often? Well, we can't at the moment, which is killing me. So, um, you know, my family in Glenmar, my family up at Fairhill, uh, we miss them. We had, uh, you know, there was a baby born into the family yesterday and when will we see her? So, yeah, it's, it's hard like that that we, we can't get it. But when we, we, when we do, it'll be magic. All right. Well, it's magic talking to you and your 24 yeah. pubs in the south of England. Marion, thanks for taking the call. <laughs> thank regards you, to Neil. All. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Back after the break. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Morning all. Very unfair. They say that Malta has been taken off the green list of safe countries to fly to. I've just returned from St. Julien, having spent a week in Malta with my husband and 13-year-old son. Uh, we felt very safe while on the island. Everyone had to wear a mask, had to wear a mask in shops, and were okay to go out while on the street. Um... We made sure we ate uh, in an open. We make sure we ate out in the open every night and kept ourselves safe. Um, this week, th- sorry, the week before we travelled, the hotel next to us had a takeover party, which would be similar to an Ibiza party. A couple of COVID cases came out of that party, and the reason Malta is not considered safe to travel is because they accepted two migrant ships recently. About ninety on board tested positive for COVID nineteen. It is grossly unfair to add these to Malta's figures. When the migrants arrived on the island, they were processed and held in detention centres 
and told not to leave the facility. They're not allowed to leave the facility. Uh, flying out from Cork to Ry- the Ryanair flight was half full and everyone wore a mask. The return home flight was jam-packed. Just one person refused to wear a face covering, but the Ryanair staff dealt beautifully with him. Uh, so thank you for that. I mean, thank you for the email and, and the lovely time you had in Malta, but there's parts of that email actually would make me not want to go to Malta or not get on an aeroplane. Anyway, why? And I was talking about yesterday about feeling like a bit weird in a supermarket recently wearing a mask when others weren't. Uh, the young, the not so young, and the uh, and children, no masks. And I kind of wondered, what, do people looking at me now think that I'm some sort of a hypochondriac or what? Anyway, Mark says, why should you for- why should you worry about people about what people think of you when you're wearing a mask? You're protecting yourself and respecting those around you. It's disappointing to see a few Irish people not showing the respect by not wearing masks. People who don't wear masks stick out more than those that do. When I heard a caller on the air saying that they don't like it because they don't like being told what to do, I wondered how he managed to cope with being told what to do by his parents and teachers in his younger days. I hope he never gets this virus and if he does that he survives and he comes back and tells us if he still has the same thoughts and attitude that he has now. Yeah, it's an interesting point that you make um, as to who actually stands out, those wearing masks or those not. And just one final quick one. Anthony says, I think people really need, I think people really have had enough of this government and the constant new regulations we're receiving almost daily. Every rule in the book's been broken from day one anyway, and people haven't been dropping like flies, have they? However, people are judging others more than ever now. While we're fighting amongst ourselves, it takes the spotlight off the government. And I believe that that is an intentional and a very clever tactic, says Anthony. Those by email to Neil at redfm.ie. Terry Kearns is down in uh, Melbourne, Australia. I don't know about the time delay, but we'll find out. Terry, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? You guys have gone gone back into lockdown, right? Yes, we have. Big time. Why? So basically what's happening here... um, So when we came out of the original lockdown, our decided to relieving the restrictions... Uh, we had a massive spike of 700 cases. Of what? Of coronavirus cases? How? Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, of course. It's coronavirus. 700 cases in one day, which is bigger than anything that we had before the restrictions came into place. Um, so what's happened since, and because of that, and just in two main areas in Melbourne, in the CBD, the Central Business District, and the north of Melbourne, um, that's where the, the, the spike occurred. But it's now affected the whole of Victoria. So, and they've got added restrictions, mandatory mask wearing, and also a curfew going to happen in half an hour at 8 p.m. A curfew, you need to be at home by 8 p.m. You need to be at home by 8 p.m. until 5 a.m. in the morning. Okay. You not leave So it's pretty severe. Um, on top of that, Neil. No, just you need to move around a bit there, Terry. It's not a great phone line. My apologies. Yeah, I'm sorry. Is that is that better? That's better. Okay, I do apologise. Um, but in a country of 25 million people, we've had just over 200 deaths here, right? Um, what I see happening in Ireland, and the concern is that people are just not doing the right thing. So they need to be aware that. The second wave will be there. The second wave will hit. 
But they need to keep it simple and, and not to relieve these restrictions to early. That's my view. Okay, and in in that regard, you you also made a point, I think, uh, with regards to masks, and they're absolutely mandatory there, aren't they? They will be here on Monday absolutely- in retail shops yeah. and stuff. Yes, they're absolutely mandatory unless you're running or or, or cycling. So you are not, you're, you get a ten thousand dollar fine if you're not wearing a mask. Ten thousand so dollars is it? Uh, five five thousand. Five thousand. It's just not. A, it's not a great fun. And because I remember your your prime minister. Uh, Jacinda Ardern being very excited and happy when lockdown was lifted. I, she didn't say that you had beaten the virus, incidentally, but uh, lockdown was lifted and everybody was very optimistic. And we were all really impressed yes. with the way New Zealand handled it. You say 25 million people, 200 deaths. Wow. We've got like four and a half million. We had 1,700 deaths. Um, but what, what, why was there why was there a spike? Have they managed to identify why you were getting seven and 800 a day? So, so just to be clear, uh, I don't live in New Zealand. That's my friend Johnny Coleman. Hi, Johnny. <laughs> I live in Australia. Okay. Right? So we're talking about Australia here. So Sorry, my apologies, Zealand, Australia. My apologies. I, I was making I was making comparisons to New Zealand. My apologies. I probably shouldn't have. But anyway, yes, what, no, why? Why? Why, why then? What? But why was there such a spike when you were talking about eight nine hundred in a day? Did they manage to identify why? Uh, yes, they have. Right. So in in a suburb in north of Melbourne, there was um, pub open. No, yeah, just move, just move around again, because I think you're trying to tell me that it pub, when pubs opened, was it? Uh, yes. So when they lifted the restrictions, um, a few parties were, were on, and it's been mainly identified to the north of Melbourne, but unfortunately, it affects everybody. So it was when the yeah. pubs opened then. So when the pubs opened, when they lifted the restrictions, that's when it all began again, and that's that's when we're that's why we're now back in lockdown stage three. So are you looking at the in, in Australia? Are you looking at the Irish scenario when people are talking about whether or not the pubs should open? You'd be saying no, is it? I would say no, Neil. I would say in fact no until we get. It. Um, this is going to sound very extreme to say, but these people that do, do the wrong thing and do it continuously should be jailed and locked up until this is over. That's my view. Because that, you see the mental health effect on people here is just enormous. You, you, you see a change in your daughter, I believe. Is that right? I see a big change in my daughter. She's 11. Frankie, she's, um, she started crying when she saw that the restrictions were... Back in place, she couldn't go back to school. In my view, she's come very withdrawn, um, and it's not just Frankie; it, it's it, it's it's all her friends as well. And I can't imagine what it would be like to be eleven to be going through this. I know you're, we a lot so, of us have the experience of life and the yes. rough and tumbles, but kids don't. Correct. Yeah, but they don't. And, and you know, it's it's even very hard to the, the homeschooling thing that we're doing here. It's they're, they're actually doing their best, Neil. But it, you know, it's not really. They need to interact with the with their friends, and uh, I see Frankie and her friends just becoming very withdrawn and taking the sort of media, using devices all the time, and it's it's, it's going to be damaging on their, their mental health in the long term. I so think. that area in lockdown now of Melbourne, um, 
Yep. Is that complete lockdown? I mean, if the pubs have closed, restaurants closed, shops have closed, people are told work from yes. home again. Yeah. Yes, everything, not just in that area, Neil, everything in Victoria is now locked down. Everything, right? Oh, the you whole state. Even, yeah. The whole state. So I can't, not only can I not go to Ireland to visit my family, right? I can't leave Victoria. The whole state is in lockdown. And it's, it's infuriating, you know, because there are just some people not doing the right thing. I know. And, and you know the point I was making about, about New Zealand, just across the water? Where are yeah. they at now? Because we were, everybody was singing their praises, as I said. Yeah, uh, still should be singing their the praises. I don't think anybody has done any, has dealt with this better than New Zealand. Yeah. You know, the last figure I saw was 19 deaths, right? Um, and they're female Prime Minister Ardern, her name, I apologise. Jacinda Ardern. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that, that's, that, 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 that's it. And, you know, but they're still doing the right thing, Neil. That, that, that's, how I, that's how I read it, you know. And I think that comes like Ireland and every other country should look at what's happening here in Australia and also New Zealand and learn from it. You know, mm-hmm. Learn from the state of Victoria that's back in lockdown and you're telling me it was when the pubs yeah. reopened. Correct. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. exactly what I'm saying. So, so okay. when they started relaxing the restrictions, that's when it started. Okay. okay? So okay. it's not just the pubs, you know, but that's all taken away now. And uh, now we have a curfew and mandatory mask wearing. So For what? That, next you, six you, weeks right, or something, is it? Uh, next four weeks, I think, yes. You're two weeks into it then? Through two, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah. All right, my man. How long have you been down there? Well, I've been down here for 22 years, Neil. Really, really love your show, by the way. Okay. Um, and if you don't mind, before I go, just shout out to my lovely mum, Maureen, and my brothers, and Caleb and Neil, and say hello to everyone there. Can't get over there. Where are the uh, Where are the family back in Cork? Y'all. All right. Well, good morning to them all in y'all. Then. All right. Um, Thank you so much, right, Neil. I appreciate it. Okay, you, I mean, you're not, you're not. Here's an interesting one, actually. I know that you can't fly in and out of Australia, but somebody was telling me recently that there's an issue even yes. with international post getting in and out of Australia. Did you hear that? That it was taking months. Uh, well, when you should say that because I sent a registered letter uh, three weeks ago, which on the soul would take five days, and still has not reached. Yeah, so there are so problems then. People need to people people need to be yeah, aware that, that there's problems with with packages and letters in and out. Of Australia, but that's just. Yeah, I, think, I, I think obviously, if you if you think about it logically, Neil, uh, the reason for that is there's no planes coming in and out of here, you know, or very few at least. <laughs> that's you know? right. Now that you mention it, you're absolutely right. <laughs> All right, Terry, you're the smart one. You were paying attention in school. Mind yourself. Thanks for taking the call. Appreciate it. Regards to you all. All right. All right. Thanks for having the show. Thank you, mate. Take care. Take care. Right. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. You might check in with him again in another couple of weeks' time, Terry, and see how things are going in Australia. Uh, always interesting to talk to people overseas. Would you have thought? I mean, I know I said it yesterday morning, but we were talking about loads and loads of people overseas in March and April. Um, God knows, um, you know, we've had a tough old time of it. But I would have thought that now in August, if you were telling me back in March and April, would you be still checking in with people in lockdown and coronavirus in August? I would have said, not at all, to be grand. Give it a couple of months. But here we are still talking about it. And indeed, lots more besides after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red.
FM. Terry Kearns down in Melbourne, Australia. And of course, I didn't mention and probably should have, and people are texting me about it now, that Terry Kearns was a legendary Cove Ramblers soccer player in the 1990s. Yes, indeed he was. Played for uh, Cove Ramblers, a fine soccer player indeed. Talking about people overseas, Kira is currently lying down next to the pool in 27 degree heat in Lanzarote. Good morning. Hi, how are you? Are you having a good time? Oh my God, I'm weak. <laughs> Aren't you very brave to be talking about going on holidays to Lanzarote though? What I what? Aren't you very brave to be talking about it? I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. You only live once, like, do you know, know what I mean? For God's sake. I know, I know. I know better I know. chance of getting fucking hit by a bus, do you know? <laughs> so when like, did you go? Right, when did you go? Is, when did you go? I went, um, when did I go? I went on uh, 1st of August. Right, so you're there yeah. just under yeah. under a week right. now. So you're there, you're going to be there for a yeah. fortnight. You fly out of Cork. Yeah, were you there? What they were f- so nice as well. Right, they were really nice. I was like, they, the the one at the desk, even when I was checking in the bag, she was like, "Oh my god, thanks a million for even going coming with us." Like, you know, you're keeping us in jobs. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, you sweetheart. <laughs> you know, like, I just felt bad. Like, I was like, oh, don't worry, girl. If I could afford it all the time, I'd be flying all the time. Do you know? <laughs> was, the, was the flight busy? <laughs> it was farty on it. So that'd be like maybe... It was farty on it. What's that, like a third full <laughs> kind of? Yeah, but they had like, it was so spaced out. Do you know what I mean? And like, you had to keep your mask, like, you know, the way you'd be like, trying to pull it down, like, you know, under your nose kind of thing. They're like, pull I it know, up. they're like, really? a dose, yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just, you just have to pull it back up, like, do you know what I mean? But, did like, you, look, you had did to, you, you book know? kind of at the last minute, was it? Yeah, right, that's sake, right. I had booked um, to, with Tui, right, last August. That was fine. And about three weeks ago, they were like, oh, sorry, you can't go on holidays. I was like, Oh my God, are you serious? Right? So anyway, they were like, so they gave me a refund within three days. So then I was like, just sitting there just la- during the week last week and I was like, no, I'm sick of this shit. I have to go. It's raining. I can't cope. Kids are bored. I was like, no, we're going. So I just booked it. Didn't even know now where I booked. I literally went on Love Houses. First thing I seen, didn't have a clue across the keys. I was like, right, that's it. We are going. Do you know? And, and it was like 1600 for 10 days, all inclusive. And is it quiet? Come here, you can't get a second... It's quiet, right? Don't get me wrong, but not, like, dead quiet. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's... There's people around. Um, there's people around. Um, they like, the beds are full. Do you know what I mean? But they only have, like... They're, like, there's a second stack of beds there. You literally have to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. To All right. So, like, no change I mean? then. You have to get out at 6 a.m. to beat the Germans <clears throat> then. Yeah. And Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> like, are there Irish people there? Are there people from Cork in Lanzarote? There is. Well, they're, they're probably in Portsville, Carmen, because I was talking to people on the flight, like, um, they, but they were going to Portsville, Carmen. Um, yeah, so there was loads of Cork people, like, and there is Dublin people, there is English people, there's Spanish people. They're from everywhere, really, I'd say. But and it's so clean. Yeah, I was going to ask you, so talk, so talk to me about how safe you feel and when you go for a drink or a bit of food or to the beach and things. So, right, we're all inclusive in it for starters, right? So what happened when we came, like, they were like, um, so we get, you know, the way, like, it goes, like, from, like, 7 o'clock to 10 o'clock and a breakfast time, you can kind of go whatever time you want, usually. Yeah, yeah. So they're like, oh, pick a slot. And also, like, we picked, say, the middle spot, spot, like, kind of a thing. And so that's for, like, breakfast, lunch and dinner. 
So then, obviously, like, not everyone's in at one time, you know? And then for going, like, for going out then for dinner or whatever, like, they just stand there with these fucking um, thermometer things or whatever, and uh, they just put it up to our forehead, and they don't, it's not even touching off yet, do you know what I mean? Like, and then there's allocation to the table, and you, you scan your camera then onto the barcode of the thing, and then you just, they come over and ask what you want, and blah, so blah, blah. So you're always... Oh, yeah, and then we've got our own... Yeah, you're always separated yeah, from other tourists and the staff are all visored up, are they? Oh my God, yeah. They're, I don't know how they're doing it because they're walking around here in 90 degrees. I know, it's hell. All the time. And say then when you want to... I know you're all inclusive, very posh, but when you go outside very the hotel posh. complex then, <laughs> do you go outside? Yeah. 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 Like I go down to the pubs and everything, but you have to have the mask on, like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not walking down the road now or anything, but every shop, like... You're going into like every anything like you have. Okay. If you're going even like to the bar, like you have to have the mask on. Then you can get take your mask off. Like you know what I mean when yeah. you get your stuff. Obviously, but like the better thing around here, I suppose, is like you know because they have the weather, and everyone can sit outside. Do you know what I mean? Like so. It's Absolutely, a hundred percent. Hear what you're saying. You're outdoors. It's very <laughs> hot. It reduces the rates of infection because of the heat and what have you. You got masks everywhere you go. Um, they, and they're fucking spraying as well, like, literally, there's, like, someone standing there and they're, like, spraying your hands, like, taxis, everything. They're, like, spraying you, you're like... Oh, and what would you, what would you, say, <laughs> to, what would you yeah, say to people that could get a last-minute deal to the sun now? Oh, fucking go. Oh, my God, go. Why would you... Like, I, I priced that fucking place up in um, Longford, you know, that place, that new place that opened. Right. And it was, like, 1,100 and something. Like for This was our basic house now, right? For three of us again. And that was for three nights, and it was 1,000 whatever. I was like, no way. No fucking way. I can get on a bloody plane and be fed and everything and be in the fucking heat. Do you know what I mean? So you got a week. Uh, you got a week with flights ten and... Uh, ten days. Uh, were the flights included yeah. with the with the all-in holiday yeah. hotel deal for 1,600? Yeah, you go on to lovehalsdays.com. I am totally like... And will you... <laughs> will you... <laughs> she'll be giving it to you for free. Will you go into... Will you isolate then for a fortnight when you come back? Try second half, won't I? No, I'm asking you. Yeah. You're supposed... Well, will you? I know I'm supposed to, yeah. But I have to be isolated anyway, sure. Do you know what I mean? I'm always at fucking home anyway. But try like if I... Perhaps I will. Do you know? Look, I just think it's all fucking a lot of scaremongering as well. Look, do you know what I mean? And I'm like... You feel you place, feel you know as safe mean? there as you do in Ireland. You're not sure though whether Ireland's you. Ireland's filthy. Ireland's filthy compared to the, these countries. Do you know what I mean? Even their footpaths are clean here. You can only eat off them. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like. Yeah, but you see, well, you see, you're mixing with a lot of other tourists from a lot of other countries. You see, that's the problem. I. They're all grand. Every, like everyone is fine everyone is nice like do you know what I mean there's no like and then at home you're like going to Aldi going for a shopping and everyone's like whoa jumping away from me as if we're like fucking do you know <laughs> okay. and there's none of that here there's none of it like there's no and you, are you, tan, what, like, what about when you come back with the tan um, uh, will, will, will people be asking you or do you think they might be criticising you or they might be a bit angry when they see the you shit. Don't I, don't I don't care they don't pay my bills they don't live in my house so I do not care do you know what I mean? I do genuinely not care. Like they're just the people that just are obviously jealous and were deprived of a holiday. Because here's an you interesting one. Before I let you go, I let you get back to the sun. Here's one. It really makes me angry listening to that self-seeking, selfish person on a sun holiday. It's our moral duty oh. to respect this pandemic and stay at home. If everyone behaved like idiots, we'd be in real trouble with the virus. She has no shame in Lanzarote. No, I don't have any shame. No, I don't. And I 
certainly do not. No, why would I? Good fit. No. Okay. Right. I, <laughs> I don't care, like, you know what I mean? Like, I'd, like I'm i not saying anything about the virus, like, but you know what I mean? It's I can catch it at home, it's, like, I can catch it here, like, and it's luckily disgusting. I, he was pumping, bleeding, and he was actually splitting his nose, splitting his forehead. I just sat down and I was like, hello, Ryanair people, whatever, like, can you give me some tissues? And I stayed with him and I missed my bus. I had to get a taxi then to the airport, like, whatever. It's like, where has humanity gone? Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. you don't just walk past someone that's after splitting his face. No, I know that. You know it's just, I, I appreciate your intervention, as we have. There's a lot of texts are saying it's not about getting a deal abroad, it's about doing the right thing. That's what they're saying. Each to their own. Do you know what I mean? Each to their own. Like, right. okay. That's my own opinion, like. All right, well, fair so. play to you. Good to talk. I'll let you get back to the sun. I'm out of time, Kira, but look after yourself. Thanks. Appreciate the call. Take care. Cheers from Lanzarote. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Okay, we got some wonderful prizes this week from the Oriel House Hotel Bar and Bistro. And tomorrow, somebody's going to win overnight bed and breakfast day for two in the Ellis and Tobin Connection bedrooms, one of their beautiful suites at the Oriel House. Uh, and across the week, 50 euro bar and bistro vouchers to give away every day. You'll be dining safely and spaciously indoors and outdoors. They've even got um, a covered courtyard as well. It's a beautiful hotel and restaurant. So you can book ahead, orielhousehotel.ie yourself. So we've got those 50 euro vouchers. Some of them will be based on the calls that are on air and texts and calls to the programme. And then we'll open the phone lines uh, and pick random winners as well just before midday. But I was looking at their restaurant uh, menu there, some of the food that you can eat. A lot of people tend to go straight for the desserts, don't they? In fact, maybe there's an argument made that people should be allowed to eat the dessert first and then the starter and then the main course. But that's just my crazy mind. But I always check m- menus to see if they've got a, an apple crumble on the menu because you don't see half enough of those. And they have a warm apple berry crumble, which is even a posher version of it. Mmm, lovely jubbly. But some lovely main courses there. They've got a beautiful pan-seared sea bass fillet wrapped in serrano ham. And they also have a lovely braised lamb shank. And when you get the lamb shanks right and they're cooked fresh, and I'm sure they are in the Oriole, of course they are, then they're absolutely gorgeous in the braising juice and everything. They've got the Suprema chicken, they've got a ribeye steak. It's a great menu, all credit due to them. Check them out yourself, lads. Lines open at 1-850-104-106. On a week, on a week that has been termed World Breastfeeding Week, and why not? Mind you, not everybody seems to be happy about it. Amongst them, Siobhan, who emailed me yesterday on this saying, thank you very much, saying welcome back from your holidays. Appreciate that, you're very kind. She says, this week is World Breastfeeding Week, the annual celebration which is held every year. For the life of me, I just can't fathom why there should even be such a week at all. Like, are the mothers who breastfeed better than the ones who don't? I didn't breastfeed either of my children. Can I now start a week called World Feed Your Kids Some SMA Formula Week, I wonder? I just feel that a lot of these women who breastfeed are attention seekers and no more. I saw a girl online say that women should show their support this week by sharing a brelfie. Am I pronouncing that right? A brelfie. Uh, You're probably wondering what that is. Well, let me explain to you. It is a breastfeeding selfie. And they are now being shared online. Yes, that's right. A mom takes a selfie of herself while breastfeeding. I'm actually mortified for these women. It's just an excuse to get their boobs out looking for attention 
and almost looking for a trophy to congratulate themselves that they're breastfeeding at all, as if they're better than the rest of us who didn't breastfeed. Again, mortified for them. Don't get me started on the ones who just love an audience in restaurants and cafes. How is it that these breastfeeding mums time their breastfeeding babies to perfection? For example, mum and baby arrive at the restaurant. Within five minutes, they're whipping their tops off and getting their boobs out for everyone to see. Why don't you feed them at home before you go out? We don't want to see it. Why don't you go to the bathroom? Then they've the excuse, it's the most natural thing in the world. But would you eat your dinner? And they say, would you eat your dinner in the bathroom? Well, no, I wouldn't. But if you're going to do it, be more discreet at least. I go to a restaurant to enjoy myself. I don't expect to have someone's breast practically on the table next to me or the salt shaker. So, ladies, best of luck with the week. I would just suggest when you're celebrating to tone it down a bit. Quite literally, I don't want to see them in my face. As for breast is best, maybe so, but it's best not to have them out in public. I'm not the only one who thinks this, Neil. I bet you'll have plenty who will agree with me. I hope you get to read this out. Love the show, says Siobhan. Well, who agrees with that? You know, who agrees with that? Or who disagrees? I mean, I think it's a little over the top to say, though, that it's just an excuse to get their boobs out looking for attention. I mean, do you really believe that? You talk about the timing of breastfeeding. I'm a man. Like, I don't think you can time when a baby's hungry. And I think they're fairly voracious in the early stages of their new life, aren't they? They're eaten like every few hours or taking the, the breast or the bottle every few hours. But anyway, is it all over the top? Siobhan suggests that it is. It's interesting that in the space of a week, women seem to be getting a lot, lot of grief if it's breastfeeding. As in this week, wasn't it last week? I was away, but I did read somewhere that they, the Advertising Standards Authority uh, took a Tampax ad off television. I couldn't get my head around that, actually. I was teaching women how to correctly insert it. What's so wrong with that? I mean, why wouldn't we be talking about periods more or, or menstrual flow? What's the big deal about all of that? Apparently, the, the, the ad didn't break any laws, did it? I think it's just like 80 or 90 people didn't like it. But that's not the reason to get rid of an advert. If that was the reason, loads of ads would be taken off radio and television. It's only when they break guidelines. And I don't think that the Tampax ad... No, it didn't break any advertising standards guidelines. Just people found it offensive. Really? I mean, it's a natural act. Like, what's the problem? Anyway, your thoughts on that are breastfeeding. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. It's interesting because uh, talking to... Was it Kira is in Lanzarote, right? Kira. Um, do you agree that people should go on sun holidays if they so choose? Do you agree that, as in Kira believes, she's much safer there, it's cleaner, the guidelines are stricter, there's loads of physical distancing? Text 0868104106. Or you disagree. Like somebody says, this is the wrong message that you're putting out on air. Well, it's not the wrong message. I'm just sharing conversations with people on the program. That's what I do. It's the wrong message. It's not about getting great holiday deals abroad. It's about all of us doing the responsible thing. When asked if that woman would self-isolate, she responded to you that it was all scaremongering. Another one here. Ask that woman who's paying her bills. How is she self-isolating? Does she work from home? Here we have now the holiday police, lads. The holiday police. I mean, is it any of anybody's business who pays her bills? <laughs> you can truly, like, 
I mean, going on holidays may be wrong, but paying her bills is her own business. How she afforded to go on the holidays, no one's business but her own. Anyway, text on that, one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. as we go back to the phone lines. Um, Carol, good morning. Morning. Um, I did receive an email from you this morning. That's the same lady, isn't it? You? Yeah. Okay. And you wanted to pick up on Cara House. You uh, are a neighbour. You live yeah. near it. Talk, talk to me about that. Yeah. So I was born and reared on Redemption Road. I still live in the family home. Um, and just, I was obviously at the vigil last night. And to be honest, it was heartbreaking when we walked up the avenue and to look at the residents looking out the window and waving at us. It was absolutely devastating um, quite emotional, um, to be honest. Um, obviously, Cara House is here for, on the road for th- over 30 years. My mother, along with, along with a lot of the elderly neighbours that have since all passed away, volunteered there when it opened first. Oh, really? And yeah, yeah. And it depended a lot at that time on volunteers. Then, obviously, social activation staff, boss workers started to come into the you know, the thing on this. And eventually I think the volunteers dwindled out and stuff like that. However, I just feel... There's Your late ma'am was a volunteer, wasn't she? She was, yeah, from day one, from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, she was. And as I said, a lot of the elderly neighbours... Isn't that amazing uh, that when it was in the hands of the community on a voluntary basis, everything seemed to have been fine? Yeah, and the nuns ran it, um, and the nuns ran it for years. And then I know there was a lady up there, and then she eventually took over the running of it, and I... I only got the tail end of Bill's comments earlier Dunley, yeah. that that lady passed away I think about three years ago and as you said it's kind of gone downhill since then but it does seem that there is some sort of an ulterior motive in this like as Dr Sheehan mentioned they were not taking patients in during COVID because they're following HSC guidelines and that's what I said in my email so they're following HSC guidelines by not taking people in but yet they expect these residents families to now find homes in other nursing homes that should also be following HSE guidelines and not taking people in. Oh my God, so, that's so obvious now that you mention it. Yeah. So where do they expect these people? So technically, nothing should happen till the end of COVID because nobody should be taking new residents in. Oh my God, you're so right. At the very so least, you're so right. Has anyone this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, what? so he's, he's saying one thing in one breath, but like they're following guidelines, so he expects every other nursing home not to follow HSE guidelines. And these red these Mayor Culpa, that's my, that's my fault. I mean, that should have been bleedingly obvious, ble- yeah. totally obvious. It wasn't, you know. You know, so Sorry. that's what hit me. I'm going like, yeah. So there, and back to Bill's point, there definitely, I feel, is an ulterior motive that when the lady that was managing it passed away a number of years ago, I think at some stage there's a decision made years ago to go, right, we start winding this down now. Um, and as I said, I know there are rumours, but the rumours are it's either going to be a methadone clinic and we have enough methadone pharmacies along the north side. They're all down Shandon Street, all in North Main Street, in Blackpool. We have enough pharmacies doing methadone um, for, for drugs. Do you believe that in six months' time, do you believe that in six months' time we'll be revisiting this when it is yeah. a methadone clinic, is it? It's, a, it's either going to be a methadone clinic, a homeless shelter, or they need to house the people that are now leaving Carsarvine um, into direct provision. Ah, but you don't know any of that with we any amount of certainty. That. We don't know that. Yeah, we don't. But there definitely is something. Why are they closing it down? And as I also said, my understanding, and your that previous caller, the hairdresser, alluded to it, that those lands and houses were gifted to the community by the church. So therefore, it belongs to the people. 
So therefore, the community needs to have the benefit of it. So that's why it needs to remain as a home. It got an excellent HICWA report, as Dr. Sheehan said. The HICWA report was very complimentary towards it. So why is it they're now saying that it's not fit for purpose for its current use? Now, were you, you were at the vigil? I was at was the vigil. Was there any public reps there, councillors? All I saw was Mick Nugent was the only one. He did apologise for Mick Barry and for Thomas Gould not being there, but I didn't see anybody else. Why weren't Thomas Gould or Mick Barry there? He didn't say. He just gave his apologies for their absence. And he said that um, we've now decided that we will do this vigil on a weekly basis. Sure, Mick Barry, we- Mick Barry must be livid. He missed a protest. I mean, like that's, yeah. that's the kind of thing that he's born for. Yeah, but other than that, I saw very, very little um, public representatives there last night. Surprised that Ken O'Flynn wasn't there. Um, very surprised that he wasn't there and because um, I know previously he's put a comment in the Echo a week or two ago when it was first announced um, so he wasn't there neither was the bishop there so I just next very Wednesday let's drive it on now for next Wednesday yeah no yeah. unfortunately I can't be there next no, Wednesday no we'll, we'll be there and I hope other, I hope other um, media will be there as well and, yeah. and I hope that all of the public reps are there of the courage of the convictions but you said that John Sheehan I've asked him this a number of occasions Dr John Sheehan former Lord Mayor you said that he knows knows what's planned for Cara House. He tells I me he doesn't. Well, I don't know. He, like, my, I, my guess is that, yes, they do know they have plans in place for Cara House. Otherwise, why are they There's doing it? There's always a plan, they isn't they there? Wanted, There's exactly, always a plan, always Cara. A plan. If they wanted to save this, why did they not take up Bill's offer of, he said he offered the resources of the community centre, fundraising, volunteers. Why did they not take that offer up if they want to, if he's so adamant that they want to save Cara House, they could do fundraising. We could do GoFundMe's. We could do whatever is needed to save that facility. When your ma'am volunteered there, your late ma'am, God rest her, what did yeah. she do? She was in the kitchen. She used to do the kitchen. And um, other ladies then might have done, you know, different aspects. They might have done some of the cleaning. They might have helped the patient. But my mom was in the kitchen with oh, one or two so of the lovely. other neighbours. That's so lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and my, my, yeah. yeah. I mean, my mother, know? my mother did something similar when she was alive for years, actually, with um, what would have been St Patrick's that became, you know, Marymount before it moved yeah. and it was up on uh, uh, just off St Luke's. There, she used to volunteer because my grandparents uh, spent their last last uh, last months there and. She gave back then afterwards by becoming a volunteer. So that's what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it. It is about giving back. And, you know, and like he's and he also said like that that's the model that we should be using now instead of building all these big nursing homes. So if that's the model. Why are they advocating that it's to shut it down? All right. Fair play. Listen, Marie, well done for taking the call and for being part of it last night on your behalf and indeed on behalf of your late mother. Thanks for taking the call. Appreciate it. No bother. Thank you. Cheers. Let me just stay with this for a few minutes because uh, Paddy O'Brien, an advocate for the elderly for many, many, many years. He was there last night as well. I see a picture of Paddy with uh, Jenny Martin, a 92-year-old resident there. One of the girls earlier this morning was telling me that one of the women in Cara House is over 100 years old. Paddy, good morning. Good morning, Neil. And for anyone else said sincere thanks to Red FM and you personally for backing this. We're on the, we're, we're on the road. I think though. it's important, but what's, what's going on? Like, What's the problem here? Well, like, the thing what? is, nobody knows that is the situation. I would say that um, it's an appalling situation. It's the space for what elderly people are experiencing at the moment. They don't know where they're going. They don't know where they want to finish up. And I spoke to some of the residents last night and are absolutely devastated. Um, are they frightened, no. do you think? Worried? 
they are, they are, of course they are better than where they go. You see, up there, the residents, like I've been associated with Carroll House since 1987. I was at the official opening. Where that, 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 that home was started by Bishop Murphy. And at the official launching on that day, many, many years ago, 33 years ago, he said, in years to come, beginning as from now, we want to see a Carroll House in every parish. That never materialised. No. What's going to happen now? We won't do any car house. Everything must be done. Everybody in Cork, and you're giving a, a tremendous exposure this morning. We got, got that support from everybody, everybody. That last speaker said something very, very, very good there that I thought of myself. Um, there was no notice from the management. The, the, the management who were running Cora House, that things were, they were in trouble about money, blah, blah, blah. If they had come out months ago, we could all have done something. We could organise concerts for them, fundraising for them. The first thing I read was on the Echo that they were closing down, and, and that's it. I spoke to this lady last night, 92 years of age. I interviewed her on the stage at the Opera House of the over 60s last year. She was there as a guest with her late husband. Yeah. She was 70 years married. That's Jenny that's Martin, was, isn't it? That's right, that's right. She is broken, broken hearted. Then I spoke to another lady, and I, I don't know, you might be able to check out this. Um, I left the desk last night, really sad and depressed about the whole situation. I said, any any plans? No, she said. Um, um, see, really, she was told, she told me, that it's up to the residents to get their own place. And I said, that's most unfair, most unfair. Now, um, moving, moving... And has everybody in there actually got somebody to do the, that on their behalf even. We yeah, exactly, know. they haven't. And yeah. the thing is, this, they're all one big family up there. No, not because the, bird, the, the, the home is on the verge of uh, closing down, but for years and years and years, I would always say, Cara House, the best nursing home in Cork. You go off in there, they all have their own rooms, they come up for breakfast in the morning, beautiful food, the staff are exceptionally good. They go into the day room, they sit around there, they go into the other tree, they can say a few prayers, and I would describe it as a family. They were mm. all a good big family. Mm. I went up there on a regular basis for the entertainment, and regrettably, no, regrettably um, now it isn't going to happen. You, you and I, we had agreed to go up there to see our friend uh, Mary McGrath. Well, she's not there any longer. She, she, she went home. But um, in fairness to the councillors, uh, their last night was coached with Kenneth Collins. He was there last night as well. And Tony Fitzgerald. Oh, so Tony and Fitzgerald, he, Ken Collins and Mick Nugent were there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I must apologise. No, if there are people there that, that I didn't know. But I'd do you know if there's an ulterior motive to all of this as opposed to fi- finances? Have they had earmarked for something else? Well, I've heard, I've heard that uh, David Lane was up there as well. He's the, uh, the, the, the man in charge of the, drug, uh, the uh, drugs and call. You heard that, uh, like, or you know I, it? I heard that, yeah. I've, I've heard that. I've heard that, you know. And that's, I heard this uh, two, two weeks ago. Okay, well, that's something, no, we'll I, have, that's something we'll have to check with him then and see if that is the case. David Lane, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he's a lovely man. He's oh no, he does fantastic work, and I mean, I'm not in any way dissing his work. I just want to know what they pl- what is the plan. Doing, he's, he's just doing his work, and he's a deacon in the church, and in the church. But I'm I'm principally concerned at the moment for the residents who are devastated, the families don't know what's happening, and then the the, the staff. I mean, the, the elderly people were fine and happy up there because the staff made made their stay happy and, and they were contented there. And there was a great turn up last night, a great turn up, marvellous turn up last night. And it was a, it was a beautiful... Okay. There was a couple of hundred people there last night. I arrived about 20 minutes to 7. It was okay. 
and by seven o'clock we had a great crowd and then when they were on Redemption Road that's outside the, the continuation. So that, okay, okay. okay, so we know we, we, we know that uh, this is reversible with people power. That has happened in the past. This could well happen. Yeah. There is a suggestion this morning that perhaps the Southern Regional Drug and Alcohol Task Force have looked at the property. We'll have to have a call with them to find out if that's true or not. But there's always a plan for something. You just don't close it without knowing what you're going to do with no, it, you see. I so, agree with you. And yeah. I, I have once, one, I want a short comment on the exam this morning. I appealed to the HSA not to break the hearts of people, putting them into places like Tonic Kelty and Bandon from Moy and Mad. That's what's happening. Because the greatest problem facing elderly people at this point in time is that, um, the, the, the shortage of long-term care. Oh, I see what you're and saying. You're saying that these elderly people would be taken out of the community where they lived all their lives, where families yeah, in the right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it has happened already. It's happening already. Um, no people out in Manor. They have no visitors to send off down there. That the people don't have transport. They don't have transport. They don't have family kilty. They don't have family. They don't have They're down in, in, in Kinsale. That's the situation. The, the, the greatest single problem confronting elderly people at this point in time is the lack of long-term care. No matter what money you have, it makes a difference. The beds are not there. Yeah. There are no beds there. And what I'm concerned about is sending people. There's one lady up there, she's 100 years of age. Another gentleman, is 96. Another person is 92. Oh, sending those people down to a strange area, a strange home, a strange staff. Everything is they're leaving college. was like a big home, so it could be a big family. They were all f- all fine and happy. And I, sorry, the word, I digress there for a moment. The word they use this morning is they to say, and I mean it from my heart, I mean genuine and sincere when I say this, have compassion, please, on these elderly people. Okay. All have right. compassion on them. And I didn't say this, but I'm saying, no, they wouldn't do this to their own parents. Taking them from one home into another, this place could be solved. People are saying there are only nine residents there. No, no, there no, no. There's, um, there's 15. With the potential to have 25 in total. Small no, little homes. Nine, nine. There are five men and four women. Five men and four women. The care yeah. home, is in the echo this morning, care home employs 24 people, has 15 elderly residents in its care. I, I mean, it, it doesn't really matter what the number is. Everyone is a life and a story. And what I, what I, when I heard that story, I said, there's only one person there. Yeah, all right. There's only one person there. I was surprised because I spoke to the residents last night, there was 25, and there is, a, there is a, such a demand for beds. And I've said this on your programme many times. There are people in Cork and they buy the echo at night, look up the debt column to know are there any debts in nursing homes. And the nursing homes tell me then, people are then ringing for two weeks, can I have that bed, can I have that bed, and the same price of the examiner. Um, um, the HSE should and must take it over. Yeah. Should and must take it well, over. Well, it doesn't and sound as if a whole lot of planning has gone into this. If people are, are searching death columns looking for places in nursing homes, oh, yeah. that makes oh, no yeah. sense. Yeah, that's, that, that's going on. And the HSC are aware of this. Right. No what, what, what money you have. I heard um, somebody said um, about Carver House, um, oh, there's no, they, they don't have the fair deed, they don't have this. It makes a difference. There are other homes in Cork as well not having the fair deed. The place must not close down. It's, uh, um, um, there was a survey done some years ago and it said about elderly people, and they said, we all want to leave this life in, 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 our, own, in our own areas. Of course, right? absolutely, if at all possible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then also, if you look out the window, 
I, I would used to call them once every two or three weeks, put on concerts in the afternoon. It was a regular visitor there. You'd go up the window and you'd see up your north side, old Collins' barracks. You'd see down to Sutton's buildings. Roger's better for a beautiful view of Cork. And there was one lady up there, she could see her own home. And we're pleading, uh... pleading, pleading again for the HSAB. They show compassion for the elderly people. And I think at oh, all levels... So you could look out the window and see your old home. Oh, lovely. All right. Yeah, yeah, How yeah, do you paint yeah. beautiful pictures, in fairness to you, even though this is a worrying time, but maybe people power will make a difference. I'll talk to you again next week, perhaps after the vigil next Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. All right. and thank you for everything that right. you're doing for the elderly. Cheers, Paddy. The great Paddy O'Brien. 7 p.m. next Wednesday at Cara House. I'll give you more details about that. That's when there's going to be the next vigil. Can I just say that I saw yesterday the most beautiful tweet from a wonderful man, a great man, really and truly a super guy, Seamus Heaney. Um, Corkman works here and does the business here year in, year out. But he put up a beautiful tweet, actually, he says, with a photograph of his dad. I mean, it's just such a lovely thing. Uh, we actually got in touch with him to say, well done, it was lovely. He said, cannot put into words the emotions tonight as I get to see this 88-year-old, my dad, after a long five months and three days. Thank you to the staff at Brookfield Nursing Home for keeping him safe for us. I think that's a beautiful text with a picture of his dad who he hadn't seen for five months and three days. And when he eventually did, hail and hearty, the eight-year-old, 88-year-old dad, having been looked after by everybody at Brookfield Nursing Home. I mean, it must have been a wonderful reunion after five months and three days. Delighted for you, Seamus, and your dad as well. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 1851-04106. Red. FM. Uh, Magella Lynch, actually, you might have heard her in the news earlier on. She's uh, part of the campaign with regards to um, Cara House and she also works in the home itself. Joins me by phone. Magella, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are it's you? It's only when I was talking there with, I think it was, was it um, Kira who was saying you, the residents can't go anywhere because nobody is taking residence now because of COVID-19. Exactly. And the waiting list, Neil, as Paddy was saying, the waiting list. We have a lady above who went to Farnley looking at the place. She was told she was on the list waiting. She was what on the list? So How much? How many numbers? 50. So in this no, you're breaking up there. I just want to get that number, Magella. How many on the list? 15. 15 ahead of her. Yeah, 15 ahead of her to go in. There's people went around to numerous nursing homes all around Cork City and County. There is waiting lists. They're not taking people in. They're not going to find somewhere, so we can't close if they have nowhere to go. But okay. if we don't want to close, and what what do you what's your job there, Magella? Care assistant. Right, and your man before you, I believe, yeah. Yeah, my mum is still there. She's there, age eighteen years. She's still there presently. Working. Yeah, working still. Are 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 the staff, the likes of your mam and indeed the residents, worried and upset? Are their families concerned? Of course they're worried. The, the, the residents are wondering where they're going to go. Are they going to be kicked out? We had a lady crying during the dinner time in the dining room. She got upset. She had to leave. She was crying. We have men who are saying they're afraid. They don't know what's going to happen to them, where they're going to go. We have a man who's 94 who was heartbreaking to hear him say, they might as well give me a tablet now and end my life. Did he say you know, that? A man come out and say, he said that, yeah. He might as well just say, like, where we are, it's a lovely, small, 20-bed place. It's homely. They all love it up there. The atmosphere around the residents did. And they're going to break up friendships that people have formed at this hour of their life and break them up. It's heartbreaking to even think to do something like that to them. For them to move, Neil, like, at this hour of their life, to start over in a new environment. And as you Mary Lynch in Norris daughter say she went looking at places, had to look through a window 
and would initially have to wheel her mother up to a door of somewhere. In these daunting times, she's 100 years old, her mother, wheel her in somewhere and say goodbye to her on her own. Not go in, not let her settle into a new place she has to call home. Why do that? Like, you know, why are, why are I mean, how would that? anybody feel if it was happening to their loved one? That's it, exactly. We, like all politicians, TVs, Michal Martin himself, think of his parents, if they had to go through that, to push your mother or father in a wheelchair to a home, they're un- unknown to them, they're scared, they're afraid, they know nobody. It's it's detrimental, as I keep saying, it's detrimental to their social, mental health. It's it's ridiculous to do to them. Oh, absolutely. It could have a terrible effect on their life and their it longevity. But when an elderly resident asks you why, what do you and the staff say? We just say, look, we're hoping for the best. We don't know what's going to happen. We know this fight might not get us nowhere, Neil, but at the end of the day, we as staff and resident families are fighting for the people that we love and care for. I keep saying being trained as a care assistant, you get trained in advocacy. We're standing up, we're advocating for them who are afraid to talk, afraid to come out. We're doing it further. further and, 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 and is it true that you guys have been told, stay quiet and take the redundancy package? Initially, 3rd of July, when we met with four board members, we be approached by media and press wanting to speak and get a comment. We were told not to. But like that in our eyes now looking was to keep quiet, have it all closed before people got wind of it and we could do nothing about it. But we won't want to I keep saying it, I did on social media. We were told initially by the outgoing chairman, Dr. John Sheehan, I know he was on talking to you. I have great respect for John Sheehan, what he does does and continues to do for Carver House. He's involved with it for many years. He tells staff that Cork City Council were removing funding they provide us. He after that information said that we took it up wrong, but we didn't. We got confirmation from Brian Ganey and Cox City Hall that the funding is still in place. Yeah, there was yeah there was contradictory evidence at the start about whether yeah. or not that uh, yeah I, I saw that quote in the Echo originally said that funding was being withdrawn. Yeah, no, um, still in place. Find that paragraph I mean, here there's, again. There's a question that people want to know. But the funding uh, is still in place. So if the funding is still, still in place. Left. Why then is yeah. it closing? Exactly. We're partially funded from the HSE. Residence fees, I don't know if people are aware, to stay in Mount Carver for a respite, it costs 350 euro a week. For a long term, it's 300 euro a week. If you compare that to the lights of Valley, no Mount Desert, it's a fraction of the price. Why can't Mount Carver be considered under the respite package where people get six weeks free respite a year, two weeks at a time? Why can't we fall in that package? They say we don't come under their standards. But yeah, Hikwa passed us. Nah, it doesn't add here. up, no. You know, and talking to the likes, it just doesn't add up. It really and it truly doesn't. doesn't add up, Neil. That's the thing, it doesn't add up. And have you any idea as to what they propose to do with Mount Cara if this, and I hope it doesn't, if this happens? Neil, we, we don't know. There is rumours circulating. We don't know how true they are. The rumours being like a drug facility. If if a care home is taken out and a drug facility goes in, that's a downright shame on all the politicians and TVs around Cork to allow that to happen. We, there was a man, if you're familiar with the name, David Lane. He's the Drugs and Alcohol Task Force. He was seen around the premises of Mount Cara two weeks ago. I know, ago, and I can, I, I can just, that is true, and we did talk to him. Brenda spoke to him off the air. He was at the property. 
He says it was for other matters. He said that rumours that there's to be a treatment centre or methadone clinic there are completely false, he has said. And he's only said that in the last five minutes. Yeah, he had a preferred interest. I I, I got confirmation too from someone who was speaking to just a preferred interest. That's why he was up there. No, he's saying, he's categorically saying that wasn't the reason he was there. This is what he is saying now. It was for other reasons. Well, we hope not. And the residents that live around also would hope that something like that wouldn't go in. I'm from the area locally. My kids attend school across the road. That would be shameful on all involved if that something like that happened. And what of the... But what, I mean, the lives of the residents are paramount. We all agree with that. But what of the 24 staff, though? Would you be redeployed or unemployed? They're often in redundancy. Two okay. weeks, just a statutory redundancy. So statutory That's redundancy, good luck. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, this is insane. So it's 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 not money, Neil. It's not our jobs. At the end of the day, we can get jobs elsewhere. There's plenty of care jobs, and you know, out there for people like us. But it's it's not about us and getting. They are friends our jobs. as well as everything else, aren't they're they? Our, they're our friends. I in the press conference uh, down in the meeting that we first had in Blackpool with Thomas Gould, I came out and I said, we attended some of the staff a year ago. A lady who passed away, her removal. And all staff kind of gathered around and kind of had a giggle. And the other thing we said was she'd hate her hair to be that way. It's those little things that we as care assistants would know. Like for a woman to be laid out and us to be, oh, she'd hate her hair that way. The hair are now saying, do you fix my hair? I don't want it that way. I know, you know I know. It's the life things, stories. Like and the bond. Ex- yeah, I know, I know. Exactly. Do you know, the stuff that we do, the stuff that we hear, and we... We as staff have to listen to these residents who are afraid, don't know what's happening. But John Sheehan said to me on the air this morning that that people need to increase public pressure on this. And he's saying categorically on the air that he's against the closure. He he did come, he did tell staff that at a meeting last Friday that we had with him. He did say he's against it. He wished us well in our fight. He said, I hope he can. But Neil... John is a board member. He's the outgoing chairman. So why decide to close it? John himself thinks that the facility is well needed. As you know, we're 25 bed, we're small. For what's going on in the pandemic But it's the small we need to protect more than the big who can fend for themselves. Do you understand? Exactly. But with regards to infection control? None. 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 We were COVID-free, Neil. We had one lady suspected of COVID. Came back positive. It was at the very start. The staff evidently put in all the precautions necessary. We we kept her safe. We kept our residents... Closed down the corridor, cordoned off the corridor, closed all the doors, dedicated exactly. one member of staff to that resident alone. Exactly, we did it. And the lady in question was even... She wasn't sick. She had a temperature for a couple That's of right. hours. That's right. Yes, she, she tested positive, but she wasn't actually sick. She herself said she was getting bored, she was getting frustrated. Can I come back out? I don't want to be stuck here on my own. Do you know? So like, there's evidence there to prove that we as as carers, we protected the people we look after. Right. Why shut us down? Why move them to elsewhere, places that have COVID, that might have people that have it? Why, why move them? We kept them safe. I hear you. I hear you. Next Wednesday, 7 o'clock, isn't it? Next Wednesday. We're going to do for the whole month of August, 7 o'clock. And I just like to thank Neil. We overwhelmed with the response with the people that turned out last night. We didn't expect such Let there be more of them at physical distancing we, next Wednesday then. Yeah. Yes, like, emphasize right. social distancing. We need to 
really okay. have to say this. Okay, I know where you are. Stay in touch. We'll talk again, Magella. Thanks for now. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks. Right, you said it so well. Appreciate it. Back after the break. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. 7 o'clock uh, next Wednesday night. I'll tell you exactly where. I've told you when and we'll revisit this again. The vigil continues next week. Your calls are welcome on that. Uh, very interesting text coming in on this. Um, and I have to say, I agree with one of them very much here. Um, there it is. Uh, it's like history repeating itself all over again with Mount Cara. What's going on today reminds me of the days with the North Infirmary. If you remember that or old enough to remember it, of course, the North Infirmary was the hospital on the north side. You had that. You had the orthopaedic as well. Uh, and of course, it was closed. But there was a huge campaign that went on for years and years. Political, uh, the members of the political establishment and TDs and councillors were putting their political lives on the line to save it and of course in spite of all of that and a huge public backlash and all sorts of campaigns and all sorts of protests um, it's still closed uh, and of course uh, the health system changed then there was a time in Ireland when local regions looked after their own health service and then we had this new HSE but before that it was uh, you know Southern Health Board Eastern Health Board Western and stuff like that and things were more regionalised, and that seemed to work an awful lot better. In fact, I think it could be fair to say the core corporation that was, as opposed to city council, worked better back in the day when they had their own parish and they looked after their own parish and they had their own money. And you know, but of course, the centre of excellence that everybody strives for means that everything has to be national and everything has to come from Dublin. I'm not harping on about Dublin or centre of power or anything at this stage. I just think it made no sense. I really, I think sometimes it's the personal touch, the local touch, being able to look after your own business. That makes the difference. So more on that again tomorrow and indeed uh, for next week. Lines are open for all other business on one eight fifty one zero four one zero six, including, including Siobhan, it being World Breastfeeding Week. And Donna agrees uh, with uh, Siobhan. She says, uh, Siobhan said, for life of me, I can't fathom out why uh, there should be any kind of a week like World Breastfeeding Week like, are the mothers who breastfeed better than the ones who don't? Uh, I feel like a lot of these women who breastfeed are attention seekers posting their brelfies on life line, which are selfies of breastfeeding. Donna says, I agree with Siobhan. Fair play for breastfeeding, but why practically look for a medal and a pat on the back for doing it at all? I'm a mum of three and decided not to breastfeed at all, and I do feel uncomfortable when I see someone breastfeeding in public. Discretion should be used to avoid uh, making others uncomfortable. By the way, my son is top of his class in school. I thought that could only happen if he was breastfed, says Donna. A lot of texts coming in on this and calls as well. Marie, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Okay, I'll, I'll get you on. I may get two on, but we'll see what happens and go back to it in the morning. What? what it's World Breastfeeding Week. Um, what are your thoughts on it? I personally breastfed both my children. Um, it was a decision that I made that I would give it a try. And if it worked out for me, great. It did. I have two beautiful, bright, intelligent children. And um, I just wanted to say that I was annoyed and angered by Siobhan's comments that it's an attention-seeking thing. If you wanted attention or an excuse to get your bits out, you could find much smaller commitments than breastfeeding. No, no, well, she like she says, I'm mortified for you. Don't get me started on the ones who love the audience in restaurants and cafes. There would be very little reason to take your boob out in a restaurant unless it was to breastfeed, she's saying, you know. 
that's ridiculous. You have to feed on demand if your baby needs Well, I did, fed. even as a man, I said that. You, you can't time it. Not at all, not at all. I personally barely left the house for the first few weeks of my children's lives because I wasn't comfortable to do it in public. But that doesn't give me or anyone else a right to judge those who are comfortable to go out and do that. But she says, why is it within the first five minutes of arriving in the restaurant or the cafe, the first five minutes, the boob is out and the baby is on it? It's almost as if it's been timed to perfection, she's saying. Because babies are wonderful like that, you take them out and they probably decide to go and have their lunch or dinner at that point because the baby is kicking up and looking for something to feed, you know. I just think it's very small-minded to say that all these women just enjoy getting their breasts out in public and love the audience. A lot of women aren't comfortable with that at all, but they choose to try and give their children what they feel is the best start. Uh, she also says then there's the excuse that they give that it's the most natural thing in the world um, uh, why don't you go she says why don't you go to the bathroom um, to breastfeed yeah I wonder you know would, would you eat your breakfast or your dinner in a bathroom exactly exactly my point would she bring her baby into a cubicle to give it a bottle you know I just think that's ridiculous. I just think it's very small-minded. As much as I don't agree that any mother that breastfeeds should judge any mother that bottle feeds, it goes the same both ways. Fast one here. You can hold on if you wish, Marie. Lisa, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Neil? I'm good now. i got about two minutes, so pick up on that. What are your thoughts on it? So it's just very sad that people are so, like, closed-minded and that breastfeeding has been so sexualized and that it's, we're ashamed so much for it. It's not anything about that, and I think sometimes... Like, Breastfeeding Week is about sharing the knowledge. It's about celebrating it. And it's about building a support network. It's not about putting down anybody else or how anybody else... But surely it is, surely, there is a kind of a self-congratulatory aspect to World Breastfeeding Week. Why celebrate it otherwise? If we, we do celebrate it because it's something that's very difficult. It didn't come easy for me. I, I had to work very hard at it. It was very overwhelming. I suppose I was just very determined to keep going. And, like, I understand, like why people don't want to breastfeed or that it isn't commonly spoken about. So, like, of course we're going to celebrate something that's so natural, that's so challenging. It's one of the most challenging things I've ever experienced. And now that I've mastered it, of course I want no, to I don't think No, I don't, think, she, I don't think she's any problem with breastfeeding per se. It's in public, for instance, and she wonders why... But you can't... Yeah. You can't control when a baby wants to feed, especially a young baby. They feed on demand. They feed when they need to. And not only that, it's for food, it's for sustenance, but it's also for comfort. If they're if they're out and they're not even used to social and noises and loud, bright noises, they want comfort. Like, it's do, a security, it's I a know. comfort. It's, do do, do women who breastfeed, feed. she's suggesting, I'm asking, do women who breastfeed feel that they're better than those who don't? And is that why no. we don't have um, a, a world SMA formula week? No, most definitely not. I would never judge another mother on how they feed their baby. And that's why it's so upsetting when women come on and say things like that to put down other mothers, you know, that were attention-seeking, which is just crazy altogether because we're made to feel uncomfortable and we're being shamed for feeding our child. We're not shaming them in the least. There's nothing at all to do with that. Okay, in the the little time that I have left, let me ask both of you, did either of you ever get kind of a dirty look from anyone breastfeeding in public? Yes, yes, yes. 
and some people stare at you and continue to stare at you, and that's extremely uncomfortable. Are they men? It's are they mean, women? Or have they, are they of a particular generation, for instance? It, it actually tends to be, in, in my own experience, it was women more than men. Women looked at you more than men? And you, Marie? The same, yeah. It's women. It's 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 a judgment thing. Yeah. What, when when you say women, older women or, or women of your own age? Women of our own age, like thirties, forties, yeah. that way. Yeah, like older people actually don't see. I've have I haven't had an issue with older people. No. It's interesting you'd have women looking at women and criticizing yeah. them for doing a natural thing. I would have thought that yeah. women would be the last people to be critical. And it's very sad, like, you know, is it coming from their own insecurities that they need to say that we're attention-seeking, which is just mad. Like, we should should just be, you know, it's it's, it's actually law that we're allowed to breastfeed in public in any restaurant, in any place. So would either of you have felt nervous then because of the way people reacted to you? Yes, and it took me a long time to get confidence to feed in public too. I know. I I used to cover up totally at the start. And I used to be so nervous about, you know, where I could sit or, like, is it in a corner or people not looking at me, which is very sad because when you have a screaming child and it's all very new. But is it not possible to cover up totally so that nobody ever knows and then nobody's offended? But, like, that's very difficult, like. It's very, very, very awkward. (laughs) All right. Okay. Awkward is a good word. All right. Okay, listen, I'm going to pick it up in the morning. Thank you to Lisa. Thank you to Marie. Lines will stay open on 1850-104-106. Text 0868-104-106. I'm going to give um, one of our 50 euro vouchers for a bar and bistro voucher for the Oriel House Hotel to uh, William, the bus driver, this morning, and also to Mary, who spent 25 years uh, hairdressing in Cara House uh, on a volunt- Cara home on a voluntary basis. I thought that was a lovely story. So 25, 25 years will get you um, a 50 euro voucher. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.